All right. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Jay, do you have uh, accounts payable? Yeah, just a couple of payments um, to note. The $8,874 for Kilgore is for road base for County Road um, 62. The McKinstry $150,000 payment, that's not even the final payment yet. There's still an additional one in retainage on that project. That's the solar at the airport. Um, the HomeQuest Lorenz $23,000, that's work at the, uh, was actually a change order um, for the work down at the EOC. Um, and that's not the final payment either yet. Um, and then the straight line of painting, there's a 5% retainage still work on that project. The uh, complete accounts payable is $419,875. Um, after payroll, just a, a few modest payments on that. The overall payments um, this week are $420,996.99. Um, Mr. Chairman, I can move to approve these possibilities. I second that. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Aye. Aye. All right. Yes, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chairman, um, I'd like to move to the consent items and I would make a motion to approve consent items A and B. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Uh, is anybody here for public comment this morning? Are you all here for the SCP here. I don't see any participants. I hear for public comment. So, uh, there's a Travis McCarty. He's one of our. If anybody that's uh, participating via Zoom, would like to make public comment, please use the raise your hand function at the bottom of your screen and raise your hand. Okay, I'm not seeing any raised hands. I'm gonna go ahead and close public comment and come back um, for eight minutes early. We certainly wait. We did have some people that commented at the meeting. Yeah, perhaps we should wait until 940. Yeah, so. I think we could just leave the link open rather than going into an actual recess. We'll just kill time here for a few minutes. Sounds great. Perfect. Commissioners, just so you know, there is an item on the agenda later for environmental health um, that is on the agenda as a resolution. It's not going to be a resolution. It's just that. Yeah.
against the word.
Yes. All right, it's 940, you just go ahead and get started. We are here to consider a special use permit for thunderstruck adventures for snowmobile tours. Chris, you want to get us started? I will start it, but um, I guess a wonderful um, presentation. So I think it would be best if we just presented that instead of me doing the presentation, but I can do opening remarks if that would be. Yeah, why don't you give us an overview of that? Okay, this is for special use permit for snowmobile tours. And the tours are um, start at County Road 80, just northeast of Hayden. They travel up County Road 80, which is a non-maintained road to private property, and they have a lease on the private property. Then they also have a forest service lease in the California Park area um, to travel up um, and use that um, area on forest service land for the tours also. They also have a second or alternate access, which is off of Ken Road 62, um, west of Steamboat Lake onto Forest Service Road 42, which also access, accesses California Park area. This is an alternate site to be used when they're not using kind of road eight. And the main reason being is for snow conditions at that time. In case um, it warms up much easier sooner in uh, in the Hayden area. And so if for some reason they cannot access either late spring or early winter, they would use the alternate kind of road 42 access. So this was heard by Planning Commission on the 7th, October 7th, and they did approve, um, they recommended approval to the board for this application. They did change a couple, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of the conditions which um, were noted in your uh, agenda communication form. And that was, I believe it was 17 and um, 27. So they just did a little bit amend amended clarification on those to uh, for the operations of Ken Road 80 and, and Forest Service 42, and then also um, Ken Road 27 to clarify um, that condition. Other than that, the conditions remain as they were presented in the staff report. And you do have those conditions in front of your commissioners webpage. We did have additional information that was brought forward to us after the staff report went out from adjacent property owners in that area. And a separate memo was sent to the planning commission with those letters and a map 
showed me this property owners being located. And that was also included in the packet of information. Um, so you have that updated um, information that wasn't included in the staff report. Um, I think that pretty well covers it, just as a quick overview of what the operations are. And I think Clay can explain much more thoroughly as far as this application, unless you have a question for me. I just have a quick question. Um, can you just clarify? Uh, I mean, I guess what it is we're considering or approving. So it's the use of the two county roads and the private property. Yes, all three of those things. Yes. Okay. And then the Forest Service Office does a totally separate thing, but we can evaluate it for offsite impacts. Is that the way that everyone should right. Potential okay. significant offsite impacts uh, for that situation. And that's, that's um, we've received no comments on the county road meeting. Or the department has approved that the use of that access, uh, maintaining that access. Um, we received no correspondence yet and the developments for that type of property. And then for service road 42, there are um, there's some 35 acres uh, parcels on um, the beginning of for service 42, and there's also a couple of smaller parcels located in that area. And those were the comments we received is from those um, property owners for that area. And so can you clarify on 42, there's a forest service road and a county road that are both covered 42? Um, it's a little confusing. Okay. Forest service road 42 begins off of County Road 62. It's also a small section of that. I'm sorry, I can't remember how far it is. You're going to start to 981 yards or to the cattle guard. To the cattle guard. So yeah, I have a nice map in my presentation. I can lay it all out for you. Yeah, it's it's also for um, county identification purposes. It's also called R25. And we have a number of county roads that have the R in front of them. That's, that's just mainly so that you can say, could you go up and check that road? Um, for our road crew, they're not county roads, but they do usually receive a blade once or twice a year just for maintenance. And they use that area, R25, Forest Road 42, as a turnaround for their uh, plows. So there are two different um, uh, county road uh, personnel that come from the north, from the Steamboat Lake area. They use that area as a turnaround to go back up toward the Steamboat Lake area, back to 129. And then they also come from the south, off of 62, use the same uh, Forest Service Road to turn around and go back south to maintain that county road. So we haven't come in both directions, using 42 as a turnaround to get back okay. in the other area. Thank you. And then this uh, SUP was necessitated because of the expiration of the old SUP? We did have an old SUP up there that used Ken Road 80. They did not use Ken Road 42. Um, and that permit did expire and Clay had purchased their business and then found out after he purchased the business that the special use permit had expired. And so he is back here, back in to, he could renew it because it had expired. So it's a brand new permit operations. And then 
and give this additional access as part of this. This seems to me, um, well, no, I'll save that question for you. Okay. So go ahead and introduce yourself uh, for the record and then go ahead and make your presentation. Sounds great. I'm Clay Hochul, owner of Photoshop Adventures. I'll go ahead and pull up the Zoom is updating just a few seconds. 50% update. Kick me out. Am I out of the Zoom meeting or am I still? No, I'm still in it. Okay. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm going to come back into it. Yep, I'm going to come back into it. Okay, it should be in. Congratulations. <laughs> you got it. One step closer. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, I'm gonna reshare it. It needs to be pulled up in power and uh... okay. Cool. I am Clay Local, owner of Thunderstruck Adventures. Thank you for your time today to hear out our special use permit. 
thank you to all of you for coming and either supporting us or if you're not, um, we're excited to hear your feedback anyways to see how we can work together. I uh, attended CNC here in Steamboat. I was a part of the uh, Martin Luther business program, so it's a lot of fun for me to be in front of you today and try to have a business here in Mount County. We previously operated under the last special use permit that we addressed earlier from Elk Mountain Adventures to San Kuzma. We uh, found out that that permit was no longer in good standing, so that is why we're in front of you today. This will be our third business in season this coming winter. We are fully insured. We are national forest permitted, and we have a great group of staff that are first aid trained, avalanche trained, and very dynamic group of employees, which are here this morning with us. Some of the key points of our operation and how things work, tours are offered seven days a week. Clients arrive at our office just outside of Steamboat here on the west side of town across from Napa. Um, that is where clients arrive and then leave from there normally to Cairo 80. And in the case of approval, we would go to Forest Service Road 42 if it's early or late season conditions. Two types of tours are offered from our company. One is a trail sled tour, kind of similar to what was going on up at Rabbit Ears. You got the two up snowmobiles, you can ride passengers, follow the leader on a nice groomed trail, a little bit more laid back. We do also have the higher adventure tour, which is our Polaris E50 matrix platform snowmills that allows the clients to get off trail, ride back country, similar to what the powder cats are doing up on a, on a buck pass. Guided snowmills are all equipped with a first aid pack, and each guide has radios, um, toolkits, all the necessities, all the necessities needed to react in an emergency situation. Like I said, snowmills are new year, new model year 2022 player snowmills. They are two strokes. They are very similar to what four strokes were 10, 15 years ago when it was the two stroke versus four stroke conversation. Um, I do a video later in the presentation just to kind of give an example of some of the decibel levels that these new snowmills have been tremendously more quiet on than what they were back in the day when it was that conversation of two stroke versus four stroke. We have a full evacuation plan in, 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 in place. This is all just kind of colors and stuff for you guys to look at right now. I'll show a bigger map that gives you a little bit better perspective. As you can see, some of the things that stick out on there, um, we do have a private hunting cabin that's located on our private property with emergency supplies if we need to evac someone from our property. We also have um, a guide that lives just down the road for us, um, Alan Boko. He has a track razor. He has emergency supplies as well. So we try to cover our base with having emergency supplies towards the beginning of where we start and then towards where we ride, just in case something happens only a mile up the road, we can get something closer or away 12, 13, 14 miles back in the backcountry from anything. We've also got equipment there that we can handle situation with. This is an overview of everything that we're talking about. So California Park is the light blue that has the big arrow pointing to it. That's a picture of our permit with the National Forest Service for California Park. The dark blue that's right under it, that is our private property that we lease from Lake Nottingham. The long yellow squiggly line, that is Cairo 80, that most of the time we would prefer to be taking our tours on. And then in the very upper hand corner, just west of Steamboat Lake there, you'll see another little squiggly yellow line, and that is for FSR 42. So you can't see on that map, but FSR 42 
actually runs all the way through California Park and it actually meets County Road 80 at the very north as it goes into Slater Park. We are permitted on all of the Forest Service Road 42, except for this small portion that is bordered by private residents that we're applying for this permit with today. I'm sorry, is that, is that short, squiggly line? Yep. <clears throat> is that a county road or a forest service? It's a forest service road. <clears throat> okay. Yep. And so where's the county road that was in question? I got You'll show us. Yeah, that. I got two slides and I blow, I blow it up a little bit closer okay. for you. So Can just I ask one quick question? Yes. If you're permitted the entire 42, why is that little short section left out? Because it's private. So I can actually, I'll jump there right now. Since that's the main point. So that's the main topic. Right? Run through public yeah, exactly. So as you can see here, this is Forest Service. We're permitted in the Forest Service. This is private residence. There's four private residents that surround our, our uh, proposed SSR 42. It's 981 yards of private property that borders that. That's why it's not permitted through the National Forest Service, even though it's their road, it borders private property. So then it can come down. Yeah, and because I, I asked the forest, so my first question to the Forest Service was, what do I have to do to be able to stage from FSR 42 and ride in? Because we're all, we can ride up to the border of that right now. We just can't cross the cattle guard where it becomes private. I'm like, what do I need to do for that small 981 yards? And they said, put it into this into this special use permit. So that's why we're here. So you can see in the bottom right-hand corner, kind of the relation to our private mountain there, the blue, and then the axis up there again on FSR 42. I'll cover it real quick. This is kind of 80. We unload at the winter turnaround on kind of 80, and then we ride up to either California Park or our private mountain, just depending on where our guests want to go. Uh, Coyote runs right into our private mountain and it runs right into California Park, both of which we are um, permitted to ride, so, or leased and permitted to ride. Total distance of FSR 42 is 981 yards. And then this is what Chris was talking about with the R25 designation. So on my Forest Service permit, you can actually see that they, they bring attention to that small area that's in question. And then that circle, is that small 581 yards between private and national forest. And to clarify that a little bit, I spoke to the Road and Bridge Department about that, and we have that platted with subdivisions in the area as Forest Service Road 42. So it's a little confusing, but that's what Route County has it as, is Forest Service Road 42 in Scotland. And it does go through private property, but it is not privately owned. It's owned by the United States Forest Service. It's very confusing. Um, we've done research on it. The, the best we could do was those private parcels that were um, completed. Sorry, I don't remember the date it was for the subdivision. And those plats were actually recorded as category 42, referred to as R25. So when something, when we plant something, we assign ownership to the plant. So who owns the plant? We're showing that easement as 42. 
Jeez. You're aware of not answering my question. <laughs> That's the information I had to go on um, to research after speaking with the with uh, the Road Ridge Department. It's not a county road, it's planted as 42, Hanover 42. So with my research, I have to go by what that plat showed with important documents that it is 42. County Service Road. Forest Service Road. Forest Service Road. Okay, thank you. I know, I know. Sort of clarification. Go ahead. Yes. So our hope with being able to guide from FSR42 is that it allows our customers the ability to have a guide early or late season. Our customers are coming out and maybe they can certainly ride on their own unguided. They pick the snowmobile up from us and they take it out and ride their own. Um, the way things are right now, with Conrad 80 being a great access point to our private property, we're able to operate and, and do so that way. If we weren't able to operate when snow is minimal on Conrad 80 and our customers were forced to have to go and ride on their own, it would create issues with people getting lost easier, um, not knowing private property lines like we do. So our alternative is that we would much rather take care of our clients on the guiding side to keep all the neighbors and everyone else happy than just having unguided customers that are out on their own trying to figure out whereabouts they're going. So our proposal for FSR 42 is not to park there and leave from there, but to pull in, drop off our client sleds, get them serious, get out of the way, probably 20 to 30 minutes in the morning when we drop off sleds, and then probably 20 to 30 minutes in the evening, afternoon when we're leaving. From there, once the sleds are dropped off, we can go up to the, uh, the Gulch um, parking lot, right outside of the marina. The guide can park the truck and trailer there with a date or a season pass or state sea state lake. Then he can ride his snowmobile from there back to the clients and the clients they can be transported from steamboats and meet everyone there so pretty low impact in terms of congesting that area um, and making sure that you know there's not going to be in the way of any other recreational users that want to use because any I, you can all go park up at fsr 42 right now to recreate summer spring fall or winter that's your right that's the easement for that um, we want to avoid rubbing anyone the wrong way with taking up that space. So our proposal is just pull in, unload, get out of the way, and then take our tours from there. And again, we're hoping that by being granted this special use permit, we're able to keep these people on a guided adventure and not just have them go out and ride on their own. Because in a lot of cases, most of these people should probably be with a guide and, and not all have their own in that adventure. A very common public feedback that we hear about a lot is the noise that these machines emit. And it's easy to say, oh, they're not that loud or they're really loud or you can talk about it. I did have a video comparison of what people that are residents around the Steamboat Lake area are probably hearing. That's gonna be the video on the left. And those machines, they're aftermarket um, cans on them, which most the snowmobile enthusiasts do not run stock mufflers. Most snowmobiles would go up to rabbit ears, buff pass, wherever you go, probably eight to nine out of 10 sleds have aftermarket components on it. It's just the thing to do as a snowmobiler. Our machines are all stock. They are 100% stock. And with our proposed use of that small stretch of land, we're gonna be operating at a very low RPM. 
So the guy's going to take off at a low speed and the machine's going to be going at a low speed until they get quite a ways into the National Forest Service because that stretch of road is not wide open. It's not just going go full speed, put high RPMs out there. So that is something for people to understand is that it's going to be a very quiet, low RPM use of the machines in this area versus the enthusiasts that are out riding on Steamboat Lake, which these residents are hearing, are completely different. So if the sound works here, I will try to go ahead and play this for you. Pretty quiet, I said. Yeah, they're <laughs> looking great, aren't they? <laughs> so I will turn this mic to Kelly. Yeah. You know, even if we can't get the sound yeah. on this, I'm not sure that we could rely upon a PowerPoint presentation to accurately represent the sound that. I hear you. The thing to note is that in the video on the left, as those machines are pulling away, the sound almost gets louder the further they get because of the echo and the high speed. So even though the subject is further away, the sound's actually getting worse. In our case, which is already on the right of our clients, as the snowmobiles get further away with the lower um, decibel cans, they're actually getting quieter as you would expect. So that's the point that we're trying to make. Again, video's not perfect, but I thought I could do as much as possible to try to help paint that picture a little bit and put residents at ease that this isn't what we're doing because that is that is what they're hearing. So when they hear 16 snowmobiles coming up there and riding, I wouldn't blame them for being worried about the video on the left if they are under, or if they're under the assumption that that's what we're going to be doing. It's just to kind of put people at ease that it's a very slower and quieter operation than what you may maybe see in the past. So with that said, our season last year on Kyne Road 80, being that it's self-facing, warmed up sooner and had a very low snow year, our season ended March 29th. Uh, we were no longer able to operate after March 29th. So we had our employees on board, we had some family, People around, still a lot of good snow up high at elevation. We just didn't have a way to get our customers to it and guide them. So we expect, you know, we um, ended our season March 29th. From there, we went and started riding this MSR 42 area just to see if this would possibly work for what we're proposing today. So while we were up there, we documented, and it's a little hard to see, but I can certainly blow it up if you guys have any questions. We went and we documented how many people were at FSR 42 every time we were there, how many sleds we brought in, how many trucks and trailers we brought in, um, the snow levels, and how many vehicles drove by on the county road that is right outside of FSR 42. So in a lot of cases, you know, we're looking at, there was days that we had, you know, 16 snowmobiles, um, nine snowmobiles, seven snowmobiles, et cetera, et cetera. And the impact of people that we saw around our area and most of these cases was, was very low. So it's easy to present you guys something and say, here's what our goals are, here's what we hope to do. Um, we kind of wanted to try it for ourselves last year with our team of employees and, and friends and family, and, and just see if this is an area that we could potentially do this from later in the season. For our own sake of not stepping on people's toes and from a sake of, you know, is this something that we want to do or are we just going to always end our season as soon as kind of 80 runs out? 
So we did do that. And you know, we feel that we can confidently say that we had no issues last year. I don't think anyone that that opposed our permit at the last meeting was even aware that we were up there. And that was kind of our goal. That was kind of the point that we we're trying to make is we will be very low, hardly seen and hopefully hardly heard. And that was the point that we we're trying to prove with being up there last year and kind of going through a, a test run of things. We're very proud to be a perfect five-star rated business. Um, we strive to provide the best experience for our customers. And we also want to provide the best experience for those around us that we're working with or having to work alongside with. So with that, we're um, excited to see where we can go from here. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, questions for the petitioner? Yes. Um, you know, as I've read through this package, I think you've done a pretty good job trying to alleviate some of the public's concerns. Um, but there, there was one thing that was mentioned in, uh, that, that I am concerned on, and that's the fact that when you bring those tours back and people jump off those sleds, most of them are going to need to relieve themselves. So to answer that question, the same, we've been, we're going to be operating the same as we've always been operating at Conroe City. Nothing's going to change there on the sanitation side. They have the ability before we leave our private mountain to relieve themselves at those on-site cabins. So it's not like they're going to Steamboat at 8.30 in the morning to our office and they're not back to Steamboat to a bathroom until five o'clock. They are usually ride our mountain and then the last half hour, hour of the day is what it takes to get back to the truck. Sure. So they have, so it's gonna be probably anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes between when they're able to relieve themselves to when they're back at that trailhead. That's the way we operate because 80 is the same way. There's nothing, there's no service at 80. Hayden isn't on the way. We turn off before Hayden. So right. it's the same way that we've operated at 80. And I, we can confidently say that there's been no sanitation issues at the lot of 80 that we're using because we do have those on site cabins on that private property. People, hey, we're heading back. We're going to be back in a half hour. Everyone's got to do their business, take care of it now. And they're able to do that. And you're prepared to enforce that. We, we have, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, FSR 42 is a very open area. Um, there's, yes, there's no privacy. I can confidently say that I don't expect anyone to be doing anything that they would not be doing. Yeah. And I do understand that. And, and for most of us that have lived in this area and worked in the hospitality industry, we do understand that there's always those who will not follow the rule. And that's why I wanted you to understand that in my opinion, that onus will be on you. Yes. Make sure that does not happen and people are not publicly exposing themselves. Yeah. And Conrad 80 has been a great um, success for us. That it, and that Conrad 80 is up in nowhere. So if anyone, you'd feel comfortable out there. And doing no, that. Well, I live in it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah. You, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're protected there. Um, you know, there's a lot more going on at FSR 42. So I think because of the success that we've had at 80 with not having that issue. I feel pretty confident that we can maintain that at FSR 42. Questions? So I guess I'm having trouble picturing, you know, obviously we received comments from several folks and I couldn't control picture on the map where those folks live and how this, I don't know if we have a map that someone could 
from that. Yeah, it's included in your packet attached to the uh, updated memo to planning commission. I can share my screen here. You know, there was one, you had a map up that really pretty clearly showed where the houses were. Yeah, I can pull that, that back yeah, up. I, I think that would address what Commissioner Melton is asking for. Or is that not a map? It was an aerial photograph. Where I yeah, it was, it was um, a yeah. platted, platted map. So I can pull that up. Um, I will get back in and share. While you're doing that, um, I have a question for Chris. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, we have, uh, even independent of the special use permit, our noise regulations can be enforced. In other words, if the decibel level is measured above a certain threshold, then we can take action to right. stop that activity. Is that correct? That's correct. That's per city statute. We have a um, meter that the environmental office has, and I believe the sheriff's office also has one. So it would be measured from the company line whoever is concerned about that, and that could be tested. And so, we, uh, forgive me if I missed it. So there's not actually anywhere in the conditions of approval, anything that actually addresses decibel levels, we're just gonna rely upon our existing standards. Right, because that would be through a complaint. If we received a complaint, um, and we have that covered in the beginning of the conditions, if there's any um, you know, complaints that we would follow up with that. And that, that's exactly what we would do. We'd have to go on So and then we would have to work it out. So when they're doing a tour, we would stand at the property line as they complained to them with the And this is a light use permit. Uh, I believe we have it um, under specific condition number 13. <laughs> it's valid for the life of the years to provide this active arm with one year of approval, and that if um, it automatically lasts if they don't do it. With the exception that we recognize it seasonally. So they need to continue to operate every year in order to maintain the SUP. Right. Thanks. I see you have the map up. Yes. Yep. So we got four property lines that are bordering it directly. Then we have one that is not technically bordering it, but this is the closest house to where we would leave from. This is this. Why don't you, why don't you point at each one of the houses? right here a house right here a house right here and then this is vacant land and then we have a house right here and then a lot of houses through here which this is a pretty heavily wooded area i do not believe that they'll have any impact of use of us and that's county road 62 over there yeah right and so you haul the snowmobiles from, in from the on 62 yep. and then um or Surface Road 42 is not maintained, I assume. Yep, so and right, then, right, roughly about right here is a cattle guard. Yeah, That's and then where, you drop people off there. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so you drop them pull in, back in, blow the sleds out, get them off to the side, out of the way. Um, driver would take that truck up to the parking lot, park it there, ride his snow mill back, and then get ready for the guests to arrive. So how do those folks access their houses in the um, most of them do not, I do not, I, I know there's a couple that do not live there in the winter. Um, and the other individual, they have access to my small bill. So I, I don't know for sure, for certain, but I do not believe that they're, these three, I do not believe that they're fully living year round. 
one of the letters we received, we received said that they access by syllable if they go up to their homes. Okay. Um, the closest resident um, from that memo that we sent was Mitchell. And as far as I know, they live year round. They were 370 feet from the road. So Mitchell's are right here. And from their house, it's 370 feet up to the, where they uh, unload their clients. Uh, and then and then just to make it clear, is this the people can still go from the single park across here to go here also? So um, that's used. People use it for parking and um, just traveling because they're coming from different areas and they can travel as kind of used to also. So is that intersection? You said use it for parking, use what? For parking. Pardon? You said use it for parking, use what? People do park there on 42. On 42. Where we're unloading, where we're unloading, people. They can park there, yeah. Okay. You could go park there right now and hike up there if you wanted to. I think you. Typically, uh, outside of your operation, how many people breaks do you see parked there at that intersection? So when we were there last year, I don't think we ever saw more than two. Again, we're late season, so it's not prime season. But again, that's the only time that we want to be there. So in the winter, I think that place gets pretty busy. But when we're proposing for it, in the days that we were there, um, let's try right now. So from March 29th, we saw one truck with trailer. Two trucks with trailer, zero, zero, two trucks with trailer, one truck with sled deck, one truck with trailer, one truck with sled deck, zero, 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 one truck, zero. So those are the days that were documented that we rode up there, and that's what we observed. And then uh, you're confident that there's enough space to pull off of County Road, completely off of County Road 62. Yeah, To yes. be able to unload and, re and reload. Yeah, I was introducing machines. Yes, yep, that, that area is um, three vehicles, so it's plowed three vehicles wide, and it's probably, I, probably about 100 yards of that lane between the so. Cal Garden 62, 75 to 100 yards by three vehicles wide. So, so the, the ride of what the easement that goes along there, right now it's approximately 30 foot ride just the, the road that is, is placed there right now, but it's a 60 foot ride. So I got a picture here to kind of address that. Not a very good one. I didn't get the best one, but you can see we are unloading off of 62. And this one, another one from a different perspective. And 62 is all the way up there. So our trucks and trailers are too wide right now, and there's still room beside both of these trucks and trailers for another vehicle. So we're off the side of the road completely with this scenario here that I'm showing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just want to clarify the dates. I'm looking at the conditions of approval that we're approved by planning commission, and there's a couple of what seems to be conflicting to me. So. Um, condition of approval 17 um, states that Forest Service Road 42 operations are from December 15th to January 1st and April 1st to April 15th. Um, and then um, condition of approval 28 says operations shall be limited from December 1st to April 1st. 
And if the operator plans to operate past the April 1st date, it must be approved by the roadworks director in writing. That's for County Road 80. And uh, maybe if there's confusion, we should clarify that. Um, that's not from 42 County Road 80. Um, they did not want it continuing further in the year than, than the April date. They okay. originally proposed in the May, is that right? Yeah, I think our original was May 1st. That's when our lease on the Nottingham property ends. So we proposed to have access on kind of 80 up until our lease was done with them. Road Bridge said no, which they're they're kind of, they're right. We, we, we saw last year, you know, we couldn't do it even if we wanted to. So they're right with that thinking is that April 1st is the cap unless we get special permission from them. Okay. Um, and so I guess I'm a little confused by the um, dates because I think you're saying that um, the need for access on Forest Service Road 42 is for early season and late season. That's correct. Um, so what happens between December 1st and December 15th? We're, we're not operating. We, we will not be operating. So okay. again, December 1st was when our permit with Nottingham begins. We won't get, we will not be running stall bills before December 15th. Okay. And so many commissions suggested those changes on County um, Road 42. Like, you know, something like 
in and out of the trailer, on and off the trailer, perhaps flying up every day. Um, so that's those accidents that you know we'd avoid by this also keeps people from uh, jamming up the parking lots. Um, we all know how rapid was about pass art last year. The other side of this is people will either be renting sleds and going out by themselves or, or guidance from us. Um, there's a teach them a responsible way. And I hope that this would, you know, have a financial benefit for the people in Steamboat for hotel restaurants. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else in the room that would like to make public comment? All right, I do see we have one person uh, on Zoom that's with a raised hand. Is that Louise Stafford? Louise, if, uh, unmute yourself and go ahead and make your public comment. Again, uh, identify yourself and try to limit your comments to no more than three minutes. Go ahead. I am Louise Stafford. I'm a resident, a full-time resident at 23170 Windward Drive, uh, not far from the 4262 intersection. Um, and I have, first of all, a question. I am puzzled on the agenda communication form, item 10, which says accessory structures slash uses associated with this permit may be administratively approved by the planning director without notice. Um, and I'm curious as to what that means. Uh, and that is my question. I do wish to comment in as much as I think it is commendable, the spirit of, 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 uh, of, um, of the of cooperation and, uh, of trying to uh, compromise that that the planning commission and the commission are um, looking at this special use permit with, but I also would like to hark back to um, the plan not to have uh, commercial ventures in mountain residential areas and. Um, I, I think it's a, a poor or certainly not a good um, precedent to be setting by allowing a commercial venture to um, get its toe, its nose under the tent, so to speak. Um, and uh, that is my comment. Um, I hope you can answer my question also. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Normally we don't respond to public comment, but Chris, I guess I would ask you to clarify the COA 10. So COA 10 is a standard condition that's up within all of our permits. It's usually if something comes up and they have to put something up, maybe they want to put in um, a bridge up, a portalette in a certain area. That would be on, on either the Kent or the private property that would change this permit in a certain way. They could come in and approach us. And if it was a positive or did not affect the permit in some way, the, the planning director could approve that. Um, I'm not sure what accessory structures we would need with this permit, but you just never know what might come up. That's another thing I can think of is maybe a portal that 
and then that go to the planning director and since it's a um accessory structure it probably would be something that would be permanent she would take a look at that and determine she would be better thank you i don't see any other raised hands so i'm going to go ahead and close public comment bring it back to the commissioners for a quick round table and decide what we're going to do with this all right well you know i will say that i i'm very encouraged by um the way you guys have worked together to solve problems um, and really, really impressed, you know, because when I read the most of the, con the concerns on those letters was parking and it was sanitation. Um, the fact that you modified your plan to pick up and drop off, I think you've uh, really answered that concern in my mind. Um, you know, human nature is what it is, and your guides understand that to protect their livelihood, that they're going to need to enforce the rules and make sure people um, behave appropriately. And I am somewhat surprised that we haven't had any comments from those that were opposed. And this would be their time. Uh, thanks. Um, I am um, going to be supportive of this um, special use permit. I think that the um, the impacts and the concerns raised um, have been adequately mitigated. I think the um, restricted dates on the Forest Service Road are appropriate to address the needs of the surrounding property owners and their, their concerns. Uh, the road impacts clearly minimal to non-existent because of the nature of the operation. Um, as we talked about, um, our potential noise impacts are addressed elsewhere in our regulations and there's a process that is a problem. And um, I think the use um, is appropriate for the area. Um, so I'll be supporting this. I'd also thank you for lowering the average age of people in this room by 25 years. <laughs> I always like to see young folks showing up to engage. And um, I don't, you may be the first person who's ever described the wind steering as fun. So we can <laughs> add that one to the list. Uh, I think my fellow commissioners uh, addressed the issues at hand. I too will be supporting this for all of the reasons that they have already enumerated. Having said that, I'm ready to uh, accept a motion on this special use permit. Um, Mr. Chairman, um, for, let me find the number here. Um, PL 21155, I move um, to recommend approval, sorry, to approve the special use permit for snowmobile tours with the findings of that that the proposal with the following conditions meets the applicable guidelines of the Route County Master Plan and is in compliance with sections four, five, um, and six of the Route County Zoning Regulations. Um, the approval is subject to the following conditions. Um, general conditions one through 12, as listed in the uh, planning commission minutes, 
from October 7, 2021, and then specific commissions um, 13 through 29, um, with the revision that condition of approval 28 is specific to County Road 80. I'm second that. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Apologies to the PDR folks for running long, but we'll get you up here and get going real quick. <clears throat> Nice to be here in the flesh. Nice to see you, Mayor. Yeah, you too. Nice to us. Lou, good to see you. All right, we have Tyron Dickerson with the PDR board online also. So, did you say okay? She said she was going to attend, but she's fine. Okay. All right, what are we doing? Um, so, this is approval for Project 200. Um, Tyron, do you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. Can you guys all hear me here? Yes. Okay, great. Um, so uh, this project, uh, PDR project uh, 200, is approximately uh, 321 acres, I believe, um, uh, up County Road, or just off County Road 16, uh, as you head up towards Lynx Pass. It's um, a, a really gorgeous piece of property, kind of its own little valley on the creek up there. It uh, provides a number of benefits to wildlife, um, the scenic uh, component of the landscape up there, um, continued agriculture here in Route County, um, and water rights, uh, really strong water rights that are being protected up here in addition to the land. Um, and, you know, as we've seen, more and more recently water rights and, and protecting those water rights here within Route County is uh, something gaining a lot of importance um, these days as the West um, faces water issues uh, throughout our watersheds. So um, the, the PDR Citizens Advisory Committee strongly supports this project. Um, we have uh, completed both tier one and tier two review of the project. Everything is in order and it, it really is a um, strong project to, to conserve this land in our county. Um, so with that, uh, uh, commissioners, I guess, you, any, any questions, comments? Yeah, uh, do you have any questions or would we like to hear from the 
landowner or from the, the conservation agency? Yes, yes. Well, let's hear from you, Amber. Sure. Sponsoring this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to um, work with Lou for the past uh, year and a half um, on this project and known Lou uh, for a really long time. I grew up going to horse camp on this ranch. Um, it was originally um, over a thousand acre property uh, with three owners. Um, Lou uh, now owns the southernmost 321 acres and um, came to us out of a desire to conserve it, um, not only for itself, but for future generations and really just a love of place. It is, um, as Tarn said, it's beautiful. It's a really special area. Um, and it is not far from Route National Forest in the Service Creek Wilderness area. So you have some incredible wildlife habitat there um, as well. And it plays into um, the agricultural landscape in this area. Uh, Lou produces high quality horse hay that is sold here in Route County um, and on the front range as well. Uh, so that's small square bales and uh, not a ton of people do that around here anymore. Um, and also he raises a small flock of sheep that support the Antlers restaurant in Napa. So uh, sports wildlife and ag and it's incredibly gorgeous. Uh, so. We're excited to present this project, and I don't know if Lou has, has anything else to add. Um, we've, uh, we're, we're up to four generations on this property now. My dad bought the property 54 years ago, uh, and uh, all the, uh, the kids love the property they want to see it continue and remain as it is and, uh, my desire is to take the funds that we can get and create um, some sort of a trust endowment to, to help <clears throat> fund the cost of the property and Alleviate the need of somebody to uh, for sale of the property or something like that down the road, and, and so it will continue to hopefully several generations. Who knows? That's yes, kind of my my goal in uh, doing this as well as I love the property and want to see it maintained and want the rest to hopefully. The surrounding properties that are not um, impacted by development or have the potential for development, the possibility maybe catch on and, and, and maintain the area um, as a culture and, uh, and uh, preservation of the wildlife and the barriers. Uh, things as well with the, with the three three creeks coming together on the property. It's it's uh, it's a pretty neat wildlife area. So that's kind of my goal and the goal of the family to to maintain the property as is and, and, and 
agricultural uh, part of it. And, uh, This area would be a significant project for the PDR program um, for a couple of reasons. But as you can see from the map, and as you're probably aware, the stagecoach area has seen significant amounts of development and subdivision. Um, and whose property represents one of the last um, larger ag properties over there. And it provides great buffer zone between the national forest uh, and these big areas of subdivision. There's over 2,000 subdivided lots um, in the six or eight or so subdivisions up surrounding the stagecoach area. Um, and then it's also um, an area where PDR has not funded many projects. Um, PDR historically does uh, has funded projects that order other projects where it builds upon um, work that has already been completed. But uh, as Kendra said, uh, you have to start somewhere. And uh, Lou is hoping that this project would inspire further conservation. Um, you can see on that map, the pink shaded parcel um, is actually the northernmost portion of the original thousand acre ranch. Um, it is owned uh, by Flying Diamond and that was conserved by uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation in 2018. Um, so with the addition of Lou's property, two thirds of the original property would be conserved and uh, we would be on our way to a pretty large buffer zone between uh, a really uh, biodiverse region in the Service Creek wilderness area and between that and the subdivisions of stage All right. Um, Jeff, you guys wanna go from here? I guess I should disclose that I've eaten Lou's lamb Quite a bad. <laughs> I think that that would have been fairly biased. Well, but I felt I should. Uh, well, I wish I'd eaten these last. <laughs> you can head to Antlers. There you go. I've, I've been promising to come down and visit them anyhow. Come on. Excuse me, I got smacked again. <laughs> you know, from, from my, my point of view, this is one of these things that being a county commissioner, I absolutely love to do. And I've been up that road and driven Lakes Pass, and I know how beautiful it is up there. And it's just something that I am excited to be able to help preserve. So I am 100% supportive of this project. Thank you. I just, you know, uh, just remind ourselves what, what the goals are of the PDR program, which is to preserve open space, maintain uh, existing uh, rural agricultural operations. And, uh, uh, and in particular, you know, we tend to look at how many 35 acre parcels were prevented from being subdivided and houses being built on, as well as maintaining wildlife corridors uh, and tying the water to the land. So I think this project checks every one of the boxes that we look to see checked. So I will definitely be in support of, of this project. Thank you. Having said that, I'm prepared for a motion. Thank you. And again, it's an honor to make this motion. <laughs> okay. Um, I move to approve the funding for PDR Project 200 
in the amount of $450,000 towards the purchase of the conservation easement and up to $30,000 for reimbursement of transaction costs and authorized to sign the agreement concerning conservation easement between Rock County and the Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust, CCAL. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Commissioners. One, which one do you mean? Policy on policy administration. <laughs> well, notice, notice that I did here? change. I did change the name because of the ridicule I received for that. <laughs> um, the first one I want to talk about is the purchasing policy, and I saw that Sue and Julie are in the audience. Um, they're welcome to come up, of course, Mr. Chair, if you are okay with that. Uh, and the reason for that is because, without my permission. So. Um, <clears throat> the reason for that is because I, I have some corrections to offer since these were posted on the agenda. I have re reviewed um, them again this morning and, and found some errors. So the first one I want to talk about is the purchasing policy. While this is a new uh, policy to the county, the majority of the substance was contained um, in the purchasing manual for years. The purchasing manual itself is under revision. It's actually with me at the moment uh, to get my act together to re review that and get it back to Julie. Um, but this is a standalone. So the, the notion is, is that we have a countywide purchasing policy, which is this, and it refers to the purchasing manual, which is, um, I'll just say the word tedious to, to read. And most folks in the county are, are unlikely to read it. So it just makes sense to have this as a, a bookmarker and refer folks to the purchasing department when they need, when they need it. Um, this policy also contains the delegation of authority 
that has been the subject of a lot of discussion in the past. Recall, it's probably been more than a year ago since we've talked about it the last time, but we've talked about it several times where the Board of County Commissioners has delegated, it's in this section right here, has delegated purchasing uh, authority to department heads up to and including $20,000. Um, and that leads me to my first correction. Here in this line, uh, Roman numeral 4A, it says, or where subparagraph three applies, it should say subparagraph four. Sue has corrected that and, and has prepared a, um, a policy uh, that would be attached to the resolution if the resolution gets approved today as to this policy. And the delegation is the same as you've all already heard numerous times. They do have, the department heads do have contract authority, but there are some standards for contracting, including the requirement that all contracts be reviewed by the county attorney's office. There is a, um, an exception to delegation for budgeted um, items that exceed $20,000, but are also very common every year purchases and they're usually bulk purchases, uh, including gravel, um, scoria, utilities, those kinds of things. And so that's outlined here in section four. I'm not going to get into any great detail due to time. And just some, uh, some, some wrap up. So this, again, is the broader policy referring folks, A, to their delegation, but also then to the purchasing manual and the purchasing department. Um, do, would you like to do entertain a motion on this first, or do you want me to talk about the second one? Sure, let's, let's, let's knock them off one at a time. Let's get them out of the way. Kendra, can I get a resolution number? Uh, 081, thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I move to approve resolution 2021-081, a resolution adopting um, an administrative policy for Route County concerning purchasing policy. I would second that. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Next. The second policy, as you noted, is also a new policy. And I've been calling it policy on policies because it was always my hope that we would have some guidance on how policies are handled. Um, mainly, it's due to the fact that what the policy project that our office is working on are countywide policies. We're calling them um, policies and procedures, right? And, but each department has its own authority, at least in the, in the traditionally it has, has its own authority to adopt its own policies that are intra-departmental only. For example, uh, a department may uh, have a policy that, that work schedule is from eight to five. That doesn't impact um, other county employees other than access to that office, I suppose. But uh, the idea is, is that each office has the authority to adopt its own policies, but these, these are aimed at countywide policies. Um, I felt it necessary to describe responsible department because as you recall from doing work sessions on policies, we try to name a responsible department and that, that department um, is solely responsible for uh, the development of new policies, amending policies, kind of tracking them to see when changes are necessary, but they're not responsible to make sure all other departments and employees are complying 
with the policies. Um, I got an objection from a department saying, wait, wait we, we don't want to be a responsible department because um, we don't have any authority over so-and-so. So that was the purpose of uh, defining that. I think it's helpful. We have a, a development procedure, which includes the county manager and, and the attorney's office. Um, maintenance, the idea here is to establish a policy administrator within the county manager or BCC office that kind of tracks them. Right now, we don't have that appointment. I know there's some transition going on um, staff-wise, but hopefully at some point, Jay and I will get together and talk more about what that will look like. I just see it as an additional function of an existing FTE. They're not, they're not writers of policies. It would just, it would be an administrative function to kind of track them, track dates when, when they're, when they're, they may be stale or need to be revised, that sort of thing, and, and publishing them wherever they need to be published. And then finally, we have a rescinding of policies step-by-step. Uh, step. Any questions about this one? I don't think so. Yeah. I think I'm ready for a motion to adopt this one. Will we be going with a separate resolution number on this side? I'm sorry. Um, right. Can right. I, including... Um, May I make a friendly amendment to your first motion? I know that's out of turn, um, but I, I want to document the fact that we are making a correction to the policies uh, that, that were posted to the agenda. Is that necessary, you think? No, I don't think so. I think we adopted the policy that was uh, presented. I, I mean, I didn't know that that was the policy that's presented with amendments by the attorney. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's on the record now that uh, uh, we adopted the policy with okay. the new offer. As presented, then in, then in that case, I'll go back to the first one. There's a, this is kind of silly, but I just want to make the, the, the record. Um, a correct, another correction to the first one was that it's an original policy. So today's date is the date it was first adopted. Again, pretty silly. And then the second one, same thing. Uh, we just had the date in the wrong uh, column. Both of them are date of first approval rather than date last revised. Yes, sir. I, that's fine. All right. I think I'm ready for a motion. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I would like to make a resolution. Um, resolution 2021-082, uh, resolution adopting an administrative policy for Route County concerning policy administration with the, as presented by the county attorney. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Not all those in favor say aye. 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 Very good. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. I'll see you shortly to talk about opioid settlement. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Eric. It's on the second. Yeah. 
now, sir. Thank you. Hi, Winnie. How Nice to see you. It's been a while. Welcome. Welcome to the county's hall. Oh. Exactly. Always good to get out of your office every once in a while. Yeah, especially on days like today. If this had been last week, I would have walked down. <laughs> <laughs> Take my time. <laughs> but uh, today I drove. <laughs> <laughs> it's only four or five. It is, it is a little wet though. It is only four or five blocks, and I'm just not mentally prepared <laughs> yet. Still got a little bit to other I really enjoyed my weekly walk down. Exactly. Just sitting on top, Solomon and I. It was our little moment of zen walking down, and then our moments of irritation walking back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good cooling off period as well. <laughs> All right, Scott, uh, what do you got for us today? Okay, um, we are here to request consideration for adopting an intergovernmental agreement to create the Route County Climate Action Collaborative, executed by the Board of County Commissioners, Route County, Colorado, City Council of Steamboat Springs, um, Hayden, Colorado, Oak Creek, and Yampa. Um, I had submitted a resolution um, to uh, legal, and they told me that we didn't need a resolution that the IGA was sufficient and um, I didn't go back and uh, update the agenda communication form so my mistake apologies for that. I think that the city did adopt a resolution so yeah. I guess there's different ways that. Um, this can be done. We're right just. For <laughs> Got it. Got it. And so um, I have here uh, the IGA. And, uh, and we are prepared to answer any questions that you have uh, regarding the agreement. I'm curious about the, the board. Who do we anticipate will be on that board? So um, we anticipate that there will be members from each municipality and county, and, county, um, and interested stakeholders. So we, we have um, the Oversight committee wanted a targeted uh, nine people on the board, but there's a range so that if something happens, you can, they can handle it. But the target is nine. And that assumes that there will be five elected officials or their designees, one from each partner, and then four, up to four um, community members that are selected by each of the partners jointly. Um, at this point, we are ready to advertise for those positions and have the board members selected by each of the partners once all the uh, IGAs have been approved, select the other members of the board and then bring them back to each government body for approval. So we're about five government officials and then the other four will be appointed by whom? The government. So the, there's a nominating committee, a selection committee that is made up of the five government officials on the board. And then they make a recommendation to each of our five governments, much like the housing authority does. And then each of the five governments have to agree. On the slate. On the slate. Or on each individual in the slate. It's, it is the process that the housing authority uses. And so we just 
drafting. It's also the process that the library board uses. But for the, the housing authority, the housing authority doesn't go through all five. No, they just do the, they just do the two. We're right, just, just the two. Yeah, but we're okay. you know we have five partners, and so it's the five. Okay. Any other questions? Um, I'm on the other so I'm familiar with this document already. But are we? Um, is the intent to hire a, a part-time staff person, and that person will be an employee at the time of payment? No, it's much like the NWCDC. It's a contract position. Oh, okay. Um, and it will be contracted with the town of Hayden. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hayden has agreed to be the fiscal agent. And we, uh, the, um, the board will really be directing this individual, but for contract reasons, they will be answering to the town of Hayden. Right. And is the intent to move forward with that when? I, I guess um, it's not budgeted until 2020. <clears throat> Two for anyone, right? So it, I do have some dollars in my budget this yes, year. Okay. So and if it got to the point where the committee identifies the structure that they want, Hayden advertises, they interview, they hire, I do have money to cover whatever the expenses would be in 2021. And then the city and the county, or at least the city has put in the agreed 30,000 in the 2022 budget. And we have a little over 10,000 left in the climate action line item that we could use for this year if we needed to. And then also uh, 30,000 in the budget matching the city's amount for 2022. And um, there, remind me, there is a financial contribution from other partners as well, right? There will be, and the board needs to determine what that is. For the NWCDC, it was, um, $200 for Yampa and Oak Creek and a bit more than that for Hayden. So it will, they will contribute something and they've agreed to contribute something. There just needs to be a discussion as to what something means. Okay. Yeah. I sort of Great. Thanks. Any other questions, comments? My only comment is sometimes a worry when the size of these boards starts getting larger, they can become a little unwieldy. Is there any concern of that? Um, we were directed by the oversight committee to have a target of nine. Okay. There's, there is that range. So if they want to make it smaller, they can. If they want to make it larger, they can. And um, I think there was a, a large desire to make sure that we could incorporate people from all parts of the county, as well as different nonprofit commercial sure. perspectives. So I think that this is where we're starting. And if there's flexibility in the range, and if the elected officials on the board decide that they want it to be smaller, we can always readdress it. Always readdress it. Okay. Yeah, I think there was a desire to have all five governmental entities have the opportunity to be represented and then we wanted to be there was the community, community voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um are you ready? I'm okay. definitely ready. Sounds good. Um Mr. Chairman, I move to 
approve and authorize Route County's participation in the intergovernmental agreement um, for the Route County Climate Action Collaborative. I will second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Um, just as a matter of uh, logistics, given that you have recently released and gotten copy uh, proposals back for your staffing at the NWCDC, fairly confident that the new soon to be seated board would love to review that so that um, they can issue the same basic, you know, similar thing, a similar thing for the collaborative staff. So Are you the proposal? Yeah. Okay. So, so whomever of you is on the board, it'd be lovely if when you had your first meeting, you brought it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, let's, can we check? Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah. So I take this downstairs uh, just as if it is or was a resolution. I'm assuming. I think so. Okay. I would just give it, go ahead and ask her what to do with it. Okay. No, yeah, because I don't need to file it in the clerk's office. All right, thanks everyone. Thank you. See you next time. Well, we're on recess till 1120. Yeah. All right, Julie. Morning. Um, thank you. The, the first thing I'd like to do is make a note that um, the Contract price for the first year changed at the last minute on the 18th of October, and I adjusted it down from 44,000 to 42, which brings the total for the three years to 114,000 114, total instead of 1,016. We could read that into the uh, motion, that'd be great. So we're here to request the Board of County Commissioners approve the purchase the chair to sign the spatialist master software and maintenance services agreement and authorize the county manager to electronically sign the purchase order to spatialist inc in the amount of forty two thousand dollars in 2021 and thirty six thousand per years two and three for a total of one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars uh, Rao County Assessor has received a quote for the Spatialist Inc. Soft for software and maintenance um, services to include four modules for a period of three years. This is a specialized software that will provide efficiency to the assessor's office staff. So the initial year is 42,000. Um, that includes implementation and training services. With year two and three at 36,000. However, in year two, the current software expense of $19,000 in use will be retired by the department. And um, the Route County attorney has reviewed and approved the agreement and the concurrent 
um, making the net change for the budget expense 17,000 per year. Um, due to the uniqueness of the software, we are asking for a sole source um, and it's justified by the benefit and best interest to the county. Thank you. Uh, Gary? Yeah, I, I have net annual costs about 14000 there. I think you just said 17000 yeah. Well, because we also talked to another 2000 right? So, um, I think it was 17. And then I'm sorry, I didn't bring in your, your, uh, yeah. your uh, action agenda. So the software consists of uh, three modules that are specific to my office um, an appraisal list is what it's called and this first module is a uh, is an analysis uh, statistical type software that will um, uh, take our sales information uh, run analysis on property characteristics location etc to help us develop uh, our modeling um, and it should help in generating some some better values, quicker values, quicker getting to those type of values, um, and and give us some measurements uh, statistically that we can use in uh, our adjustments and defending those adjustments uh, from a field time. The second module uh, is called Comper. Uh, this is basically a, 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 a comparable sales analysis or selector type of uh, software. Um, the, the software will, will take a property and go out and find similar like properties that are comparable in the marketplace to that property based off of um, whatever you set the parameters at, but you could say 10% above or below that square footage of the subject within seven years either side of the subject that kind of thing on whatever characteristics you select and it maps them if here's your subject and you can put in a half mile radius a one mile radius two mile radius and they all pop up and they list them on the side it's pretty slick uh, and then it'll produce a nice comp grid for you that is uh, flexible that you can go in and change things right now our software um, has a very, very poorly designed concrete, and we, we essentially don't use it because it has no flexibility to it. Um, and when you try to switch from land to residential or residential commercial, you have to rebuild the entire concrete with the characteristics you want. And it's very time consuming, so we just go 
do it by hand on an Excel spreadsheet. And that's also time consuming. Um, so that is probably the, the biggest one I'm looking forward to, to um, seeing um, function and work for us. And then the third uh, module is called Property Portal. This is a combination of our property search website that we currently have. Uh, again, interfaced into a spatial geo database mapping GIS um, piece. And it serves as uh, producing our property record card, electronic property record card as well. Um, so have all the data on each account from a photo of the property, the sketch if we have it electronically, sales history, uh, the characteristics of the house, garage, whatever other stuff that's on the property, the land, characteristics from the land model. And then the fourth module, the community module, um, is that kind of center hub of uh, um, county business activity that relates back to the parcel. Uh, we can bring in anything we want to add to that from building permits, um, environmental health permits for uh, water and sanitation, you know, um, permits for, for uh, leach fields and, and vaults and such to planning applications. Uh, we want to bring in information about elections and what properties are affected by what ballot measures that can happen, et cetera. Um, and then there's also the demographics that, uh, so as you zoom in and out on a neighborhood or an area, you get instant feedback as to demographics or education, population, age, all that type of demographics, demographics that you see. Um, and same thing when you go into those other pieces like building permits, you see all the permits in this neighborhood for one, two, three years back. Um, and then the public can use it to do their own analysis on this stuff or staff members from various departments. So that's questions. it in a nutshell. Thank you, Gary. Questions or comments? The only thing I'm just wondering, and it, I'm reading through the maintenance services, um, you're, you're comfortable with support services? Uh, yes, I am. I have, um, I've, I've spoken to a few different assessors that, that have had the product for a year or better, two years, um, and really not gotten any negative feedback about it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. At this point, I don't, I don't have any concerns. Yeah. You really don't know until you get what you it. get until you get into it. Or, um, you know, we start experiencing those those requests and, and how they respond to it. Um, is it at all problematic that this startup date is today, um, and then so each year, it, or at the end of three years, or whatever would be. It would be expiring on the 26th of October rather than on December 31st. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that works if they're going to, you know, I, I would imagine they would they would prorate the, the, the renewal maintenance contract to a calendar year. I mean, it's talking about the term, the initial term of the sale commences on the 26th of October right. 21st. 
continues in effect for a period of three years upon expiration of the initial term and will automatically renew for successive periods, yada, yada, yada. But it, it just seems a little problematic for us that we have these things starting and stopping in the middle of the year, um, especially for, you know. For yeah, but March, I think like the SPSS yeah. software starts on, you know, I think it's a March date. Okay. Is it annual year? The mobile platform was a, was a, an October so we are committed to this for three years all four modules um, and I, we don't have any problem with multi-year commitments the way it's I ahead, i reviewed that there is a non-appropriation pro provision in there i i'm not understanding what what's your concern about it ending beginning and ending in october it's just because it's not within the fiscal year? Yeah, it's just when you, I, I suppose, I, I guess we'd be budgeting the same amount each year. Exactly. It'll sit on the balance sheet. You're paying for it for the following year, right October. I mean, because it's so late in the year. It's kind of like, you know, we just did that one for the sheriff's office, and that, you know. I was just looking for something to complain about. <laughs> I mean, if we ever decided, hey, and we're going to zero this out in the budget, it, it would still zero. be an additional year, yeah. essentially, because it wouldn't be until the next October right. that they wouldn't have access. Right. Is there anybody from accounting? No. I, I got kind of a weird question from Randall yesterday in the email asking if this was a um, uh, licensing agreement or a subscription service. And I spoke with the, the sales rep this morning on that and uh, asked him, he says, well, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of bold. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's what it is. If, if, if you're buying the software and it comes, you know, with an annual maintenance contract, or, you know, so in that respect, that annual, you know, maintenance and, and, and licensing agreement is, is somewhat of a subscription on an annual basis, but you know, his answer was, A, that those two terms are kind of interchangeable, and B, that, that uh, you know, you're, you're buying the software, and then the annual maintenance and licensing goes with that. That, that is the right answer, um, Gary, it's both. And the reason that question gets asked is because um, of the predictability of costs. And so subscription services generally can go up over time, um, here you have a committed cost as to the subscription and to the license. It's not limited. Your users do have a specific amount of users, users with licenses, you know, um, like right. um, Yeah, no, I don't believe it is. No. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's available to my entire staff. We need module. Just so you know, that property portal module, the um, if we allow it, we will allow it. Um, the the public's able to use that comper um, uh, sales comp kind of finder, right? And they can go in and they can change the ranges of what they're looking for as far as age or size or something. Um, so so that's going to be available to the public as well. Imagine real estate. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, they probably will. Yeah. 
Um, who at the county is going to be responsible for project management in terms of implementing the that community module? The community module um, initially it's going to be Jim Payne having to pull that data together uh, for spaceless, and then uh, yes, somebody either from IT's office or maybe somebody from the commissioner's office um, would have to coordinate with space, let's say when elections come around and elections would like to, you know, bring in their, their if they want to share their data on ballot measures or something like that. Um, you know, somewhere that would have to be some kind of coordination going that should happen outside of my office, yeah. as this is a countywide. So Gary, you did a, a good job of convincing Commissioner Sprint and myself uh, to uh, move forward with the, the community module. Um, I, uh, and I think Commissioner Mullins raised a good question there. I was going to ask the question in a different way, which is I'm kind of anxious to see how that works when tell if you think we'll actually see that fourth module up and running so that it's available for uh, the community or right. myself. Right. Uh, so in my conversation with uh, with Ian this morning at the sales rep, um, you know, I, I told him my, my priority is that property portal, getting that up and running as quickly as we can. He thought that could be done in about 10 business days. Um, so I'm shooting for kind of a November 15th that we have it uh, up and running. We may not have all our, our search um, parameters there yet, um, but we'll have it up and running by November 15th. Uh, as you know, I'm still waiting to gain access to building permits on the new software from both the city and the county. Um, that request is going on about two months now. Last conversation with Robert yesterday is, you know, they have to sign an agreement with the hosting server companies that host the data, which is separate from CityView. And that's being worked out right now um, before Jim Payne gets himself a, a login access to the, the data. I spoke with the city uh, IT director, Ken, a week ago plus. And, you know, his comment was, uh, I'm still sitting in the dark on this software that'll give me access to anything. Um, so my appraisers are working on all the older permits, but it's it's starting to, to uh, compound things a little bit for us as far as trying to go out and view everything. Uh, or too much snow flies. Uh, you know, January 1 assessment date is when we want to, you know, be seeing these properties and, Ideally, you're drawing up the plans at your desk prior to filling up construction worksheet and stuff and then getting all that ready and then going out and viewing. And so uh, I'm impressing with building IT. You know, and I, I need this data. Uh, so that's where that stands. So I imagine the community module to answer your question is going to be reliant on when we get that access. Um, but like sales will start flowing into that. So I suspect we need to be on board before mid December. 
Now, if we have building information yet, who knows, but we can start getting other people's data like environmental health, um, our sales information, uh, whatever else you think we might want to add to that. Thank you. Questions? All right, Mr. Chairman, I move the Board of County Commissioners to approve the purchase, the chair to sign the Spadeless Master Software and Maintenance Service Agreements, and authorize the county manager to electronically sign the purchase order to Spadeless Inc. in the amount of $42,000 in 2021, $36,000 per years to and three, and a total of $114,000. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Gary, thank you, Julie. Okay. All right, Eric. Let's do some opioids. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I'm going to pass. No, thanks. You're on your own, Oregon. Uh, we're not going to talk about opioids so much today as we are about settlement. Um, <laughs> fine distinction there. Oh. All right, let's talk about settlement. All right, so uh, you have several documents posted on your agenda. They constitute the uh, Attorney General's office efforts to involve Colorado and get all of Colorado municipalities and counties. Excuse me one second. Without saying a word. Or did he freeze? There just had a little noise issue. Um, the AG's office uh, efforts to involve all Colorado municipalities and counties in what is right now um, a possible nationwide settlement, but certainly an offer of settlement between various manufacturers and the state of Colorado. The MOU, which is quite lengthy, as you know, um, is an effort just to make sure that th those participating and eligible counties and municipalities have an understanding of the terms and conditions of the settlement. So the MOU reflects what is required by the settlement itself, including using uh, any funds that are eventually distributed for acceptable purposes. Um, I don't know how much detail you need. I know we've talked about this ad nauseum over the last two years, um, but again, this is just the state of Colorado at this juncture and there, there are various distribution models the exhibits contain a list of uh, not necessarily participating counties and municipalities, but hopefully participating municipals, municipalities and counties. Uh, the settlement depends heavily on participation. The more participation between the legal entities and uh, in the settlement, the higher the distribution amounts will be. And you can understand that if you put yourself in the defendant's shoes for a moment, uh, they want to be able to settle out any future litigation now. And uh, they're willing to pay a premium for the more uh, potential cases that they can settle out. So for example, 
there's a chart and I'll share a screen here. And this is in, contained in the MOU itself in an odd section that's under the attorney's fees provisions. But um, this describes just briefly what that incentive looks like. If there's only 85% participation, the incentive portion of distribution would be zero. Up to 100% uh, participation by county or excuse me, local governments, uh, there's going to be then 100% incentive payment. There are other distributions also in the mix, but uh, just this is an easy way to, to understand the defendant's sort of viewpoint that they want to settle out as many cases as possible so they're not dealing with them in the future. Uh, I, I looked through this again this morning to see if there are any highlights from the MOU that I really needed to point, it, point out. Um, there, there really aren't. Uh, again, all of this reflects the settlement that the AG's office has engaged in with the various manufacturers that are participating in this. You see, maybe, maybe I'll point out this real quickly. Um, I've got at the top of this section, there are, it just, there are several distribution groups, if you will, um, and percentage shares to each group. For example, at the very top here, is the is the state share. Uh, there's another chart somewhere else that tells how much they get. I think it's 10% to the state. Um, and it describes the essentials of what their share looks like and what happens if uh, they don't use the money properly. Then there's the local government share, which I believe is 60%. I'd have to skip to another section to, to, to tell you for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm certain this one's 60%. Uh, so then this section would be relevant to the county. Uh, the other participating groups are the regional share. This is also relevant to the county. So we're part of region one, which is Northwest Colorado, along with Jackson County, Grand County, um, Rio Blanco and Moffat counties. And so the regional share uh, and distribution is different than the local government share. The local governments can, uh, donate their share, if you will, to the, to the region that they are a participant in. Uh, if, there's one, if you wanna have an effort to kind of pool your money uh, for, for better use and, uh, and broader resource management. So those are all opportunities that we can talk about in the future. What's in front of us right now is that CCI is recommending that all counties uh, go ahead and sign off on this agreement. I've reviewed it probably six times now, and, um, and it has changed, and this is the most recent and final version. I'll just go skip to the exhibits real quick because they are quite lengthy, um, and just give a brief description what those, what those are about. You can see here at the end, Attorney General Phil Weiser has already signed this. Here's the spot where you'll sign it. Um, I have the documents printed out but I had an issue uh, with my scheduling today and that's why I'm, I'm not there. I, the motion that I'm gonna be asking for is for the chair to sign the MOU itself here. Uh, and then I've talked to Jay about uh, exhibit, what we're calling exhibit K, which is a participation form. Um, I would ask for a second motion, this, and this is not outlined in the agenda communication form, so I apologize for that. 
um, to authorize Jay to sign the participation forms because those may change from time to time as exhibits. And uh, it would be more efficient uh, for Jay to have the authority to sign those. I'll go over those uh, here briefly. I'll start with exhibit A, uh, which is the uh, approved purposes exhibit. So this one's really an, an interesting read and you start asking, or at least I did start asking, uh, how are we going to be able to use this money most efficiently under these requirements? Uh, make no mistake, these are requirements. Uh, the money has to be used for these approved purposes. We're not gonna be able to repave uh, County Road 14. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> do we, do we, hey, Eric, uh, these are, uh, these approved purposes. Uh, we, we just have to stay within them or do we have to address each and every one of them? Uh, we'll stay within them. You don't have to address every single one and the limited amount of money that the region, uh, region one is receiving, we're actually the, uh, region one is the lowest funded region and it's based on population. Um, so that's good news, bad news, right? Region one, <laughs> we're the lowest populated, but we make less money from this settlement. Um, but it has to be used for any one of any one of these purposes. I think that's a better way to say it. Some interesting stuff though sticks out for me, scholarships for certified addiction counselors. There's a huge need for that. Uh, at least in Route County. Uh, the major headings are contained in here, uh, treatment and then intervention. And you can imagine what that looks like. Criminal justice involved persons. So some of this stuff we already have up and running, especially at the jail. Uh, pregnant women, recovery, prevention, no, I'm surprised there, uh, misuse and overdose deaths. And then a couple additional uh, areas, I won't uh, pour, pour through them with you today, but it's an interesting read if you want to ever just look at that, that list. Exhibit B just describes all the local governmental entities. You'll see that route and uh, the incorporated towns and Cities are listed on here. Uh, route starts with an R, so here we are. Okay. And then the next exhibit is the region uh, that, that I was talk talking about. Here is our region, of course. D is the allocation structure um, this is, gets a little confusing. You have to think about uh, the various distributions that are going to take place. Again, regions, where we're, where we're concerned, regions, and then LGs. And so this is the, the list of uh, counties. And of course, here we are. So this is the LG distribution for Route County. Um, Kind of a quick glance here is interesting as well. You got Pueblo at 5%, whereas Route County is almost at 0.4%, uh, excuse me. Summit, very similar. Um, we like to compare ourselves to Garfield. The, you'll see that the I-70 corridor areas have a higher percentage and, and you can understand why, why that would be. Here's Eagle, twice that, almost twice that of Route County.
That's just a pure population, correct? No, uh, there an attempt was made at um, including an analysis of problem areas where where abuse um, is more elevated. And that's why I pointed out the I-70 area um, that seems to be an area of problem and concern. You know, Tim, I'm reflecting on your question now and I'm not, I'm not sure how that was weighted. My guess is population was weighted far more strongly than anything else. And then here are intra-county allocations and we'll skip down to route. You'll see that of course, Steamboat Springs uh, will get a sizable chunk. Again, route starts with R. And here we are. Steamboat Springs at 40%, the county nearly at 60, unincorporated, uh, Hayden and the rest. So that's that exhibit. If, uh, here's what I was talking about in terms of the regions. Here's the region we are in Northwest. It's the lowest total share distribution of any of the other regions. Some of the regions are single counties only like Boulder, for example, Broomfield, Logan, Weld, et cetera. Um, and there's no surprise here. Denver 15% is the highest. How much time do I have, Tim? Eight minutes? Yeah. Uh, this one's interesting to me because this, this sort of uh, governs our regional development and what, what our local regional um, cooperation will look like. You'll see that, and these are recommendations only, these aren't required under the MOU, um, but we're, we are absolutely moving forward with a model. So we would fall under here, multi-county regions. We're using the, the model um, MOU that was developed by the AG's office here locally. And they make recommendations as to, you know, even voting membership and all of that. The important thing to remember about that is counties and municipalities will have uh, voting and approval authority, not other entities like providers, for example. Here's the, here's the um, model IGA that I was talking about. I did change this significantly and got this to uh, Lieutenant Boyle, who's our appointed rep to the region. And that's that, that's all the exhibits. Um, so today, again, I'm asking for a motion. Oh, wait, I forgot K, is that in here? Yeah, that's not in here. I'm gonna have to go on the agenda items. You'll see number four, Johnson Johnson uh, participation form. Number five is the distributor uh, participation form. And I'll pull up one of those because they, they look exactly the same. Uh, 
This share screen is annoying. All right, assuming you can see that, this is where I was talking about a participation form where it asks for an appointed authorized official. Instead of gathering the board together each time, this may be amended from time to time. Um, I'm recommending that JB appointed the authorized official to sign off on this participation form and then any future changes to it. Uh, I have this all filled out already, except for that line in my office. So I, my, according to my schedule now, I, I'll be in the office uh, tomorrow several times and um, I, I will get this form to Jay if you approve of my recommendation. The other exhibit K looks exactly the same that it's just for a different manufacturer. This one, as you can see, is Johnson & Johnson. The other one I wanted to show you is called an escrow agreement. This is really riveting stuff, Eric. <laughs> I'm sarcasm impaired, so save it. <laughs> Again, this looks very similar, authorized official signature. Um, this is what I would more generally call um, a release. So we're basically, if Route County signs off on this MOU and becomes a participating LG, um, we're, we're giving away, and, and again, assuming the court of competent jurisdiction approves of this settlement, um, we're forever signing off that we will not bring litigation uh, on damages against these specific manufacturers, distributors, et cetera. Um, and, but I've provided advice in an executive session on that issue previously. Um, let me know if you want to rehash that and I'm happy to reschedule. Our date for turning this in is November 5th, I believe. CCI has asked for it as soon as possible. Um, I'm, I'll take care of getting it to the other parties, including the AG's office, CCI, et cetera. So I'm not, I don't feel like I've been very clear what I'm asking. I'm asking for a motion to approve and authorize the chair's signature on the memorandum of an understanding as presented and a motion to appoint Jay Harrington as the authorized official to be identified on the participation forms and escrow agreement. Eric, thank you for wading through this, the exciting world of uh, county legal work. I appreciate you taking this on. And I guess uh, it's impossible for me to imagine that Rob County would somehow want to go back and sue any of the uh, opioid manufacturers. Um, so I'm going. I think Jay, I think I see Jay in there. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I just didn't want to volunteer somebody without them at least being present for it. Sorry. 
I'll sign what Eric tells me to sign. <laughs> <laughs> <Is that so? laughs> I have a blank check. <laughs> okay, I, I'm ready for a couple of motions. Which one of you wants to take a crack at this? Um, do we need two motions or just one is okay? It could it could be combined, but I I'll go ahead and ask first for a I'll ask for two. First, I'd ask for a motion to approve and authorize the chair to sign the memorandum of understanding with the Colorado Attorney General's office as presented today. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 I ask for a motion to appoint Jay Harrington, Jay Harrington as the authorized official to be identified on the state's uh, settlement participation forms, exhibits K and K1, and the um, escrow agreement also as presented today. So moved. Second. Um, discussion. Did you want to be specific to Jay Harrington, the individual, or to the office of county manager? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think they're asking for a, a named individual. Yes, I, yeah, I did look at that. Yes, I need uh, Jay Harrington if that should change. Hopefully not. Jay, you've been locked in uh, contractually for ten years. I think we snuck that in there, so he's not going <laughs> to. It. it would just be if for some reason. Uh, Jay left our employment, it would be incumbent upon us to appoint a new person. Yes, sir. We have a motion at second. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you, Eric. Yes, sir. Thank you. Good <laughs> luck this And I guess we stand adjourned until one o'clock. All right, we are here for our afternoon session. Town manager Matt Mendisco from Hayden is joining us today to give us a presentation about their Build Back Better challenge. Matt? Yeah, I'm going to share my screen so everybody can see. I think Matt's been the best one so far. Screen share. Right on. Good yeah, job. We've, we've had some failures. We've had some people struggling. You know, believe it or not, the town of Hayden was using Zoom before the pandemic. So I've had a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for making the time, apologizing um, that last uh, week I was not able to be here. But so I appreciate everybody adjusting their schedules. So I will jump in to this. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Hayden has a, you know, new purpose, vision, mission, and values. And I think these are important, the most important one at the top, which really ties into um, this project or proposal uh, is to be in a, we exist to be a place to thrive. And I think what we're doing is set a, setting an expectation that uh, for the future, that's what we're going to live by, is to be a place to thrive. And that's what this project ties directly into um, that particular purpose. Um, so Build Back Better, um, I think before anything else, uh, build, here we go. 
Build Back Better is the one-time um, Economic Development Administration to the federal government. Uh, it is a one-time challenge, if you want to call it, as a response to the pandemic. Um, you've heard the president, um, he keeps saying, you know, we're going to build back better. Well, that's, it's kind of became a slogan. Well, this is like one of those like key things that came out of the ARPA interdistribution. It was specifically designed around long-term economic recovery. Um, so it was $300 million set aside. Uh, and there's two phases to it. But essentially, it is one-time money where you have one-time opportunities for much larger projects than you would have otherwise been. Most of the uh, EEA grants range on the high end, somewhere between one and three million. This, um, from a regional perspective, can get upwards of a hundred. But it, it, but it, you have to participate regionally. What I mean by, which is the next bullet point, regional partners, Western Slope Regionalism. Uh, our particular grant we turned in, which was last week, was actually spearheaded by, uh, or written, I should say, uh, by Region 10 as a planning region for audit. So uh, specifically, they're, uh, they're based out of where uh, Delta County is where the office is, but, um, they span just like the GNC planning region or the SEDS region, as you want to call it, for uh, EDA's purposes. Because what EDA was uh, requiring is not just even our Northwest Colorado Development Council, you know, you would think 10 entities, that would be, you know, enough. And they said, no, 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 what you don't understand is it's not about how many entities, it's about the scope and the geographic like reach of what you're doing. We want to see that you are reaching across the lines that you're reaching. So what that, that brought Northwest Colorado and Region 10 together, the projects that were involved that were outlined, well, our project is one of them, span from all the way from um, our innovation center in Gunnison County, all the way through kind of following that state highway, um, all the way through Montrose County into, although Montrose did not have a project, but into Delta County, uh, Moffat County, Route County. So that gave us the scope and breadth to participate. Um, so it really is regional for the first time. Uh, and there were others that submitted around the state as well. I think it was a total of seven projects. We were the only area that had coal community connection. Um, and through Build Back Better, there was a specific amount of money, 100,000 or 100 million of 300 was allocated for only whole community efforts. So that's what made this a unique opportunity because we are obviously a whole community recovering. And so that gave us a little bit of an advantage. Uh, what's the opportunity? What we're putting forward is. Uh, we have a, we identified through cluster analysis with John and others that while we have a lot of outdoor recreation clusters and other things, what we do not have is what I would call a true light industrial area where, um, for instance, you know, 
I've been using this example a lot and I don't know whether or not this would have happened, but um, could a company like Honey Stinger have been able to stay if they would have had a place that they could have built a building affordably to do their manufacturing? That's what I'm talking about, the manufacturing side with the jobs that came along with those manufacturing jobs. Um, I know of other companies that are growing rapidly and at some point they're going to need to expand. They're going to need to find a place to expand. And we don't, in the Valley at least, we don't have a lot of areas for those companies to expand. They're just running out of room. And uh, that's what this opportunity is. Uh, it will address some housing issues, not really significantly because putting housing against the airports gets a little messy, but um, you can do work with type of stuff that kind of works into entrepreneurialism. So the thought process is like these houses aren't just for rent. They're kind of specifically designed around almost what you would call an incubator concept of entrepreneurs that get to work in environments and go to places and do things like that. Um, this project will be centrally located in the valley, directly across from the airports. When you make the left to go into the terminal, this land is on the other side. Um, and the jobs created around this, if you think about uh, long-term 10 to 15 years, and I think that's what everybody needs to think about this project as, this is a 10 to 15 year opportunity over time. It doesn't happen quickly. The, if we were awarded the phase two money, the infrastructure has to happen within two years, but that's on us, not you know, to get that done. Um, so they're centered around what I would call middle-class opportunity. This is, you know, you're hitting a target market of you know, with jobs that are somewhere in the neighborhood between that 75 to $120,000 range of, uh, you know, benefited, you know, uh, types of facilities. Uh, I could potentially see, you know, uh, some of the beneficiaries we're speaking to to relocate here or build something here, you know, have potentially union workers, um, those types of, you know, those types of jobs are what we're talking about here. Um, we're not talking about retail. Um, we're not talking about those types of industries. We're talking about expansion within our clusters to allow those businesses to stay where they're at, as well as any other businesses that may be looking to come to the Valley. The first year I was here, we had an opportunity to work with a company who was thinking about relocating. There, and Tim was involved with this as well, the council level, we could not find them a place to be. We just looked all over the Valley, Hayden included, we couldn't find them a home. Maybe this would have been their opportunity, maybe. So that's why it is now because we may not see another opportunity to try to invest in something like this in the future because of the amount of federal government as well as the opportunity it creates for the vision of which, you know, we may not have the ability to do at this moment. And then why support this? I touched on the one-time opportunity and the regionalism. I think that just speaks to, um, I think we're all finally getting, and I applaud the county and others who are driving this process of regionalism to start thinking about, you know, we don't all, you know, need to be trying to put an industrial park 
and steamboat and Hayden and everything else. We need to be strategically thinking about how we grow as a valley and not. And so, you know, John has been leading this effort as well here most recently. Um, but I think it's, you know, for coal transition, it's our, this is our like, this is our moonshot opportunity in my vision because, um, you know, to give an opportunity for land like this to develop um, so that private business, private business has a unique opportunity to move in on what, at what I would call a very a lower cost of entry, a lower barrier to entry. And I'll speak to that here in a minute. Um, so vision for Northwest Colorado, again, um, we're gonna provide a space for industry to grow. And what I'm gonna do, by, what I mean by that is I'm gonna stop sharing my screen for this particular thing. And I'm gonna show everybody where this is actually located. Okay, so the particular parcel that I'm discussing today, which we have actually, uh, is actually being put on the letter of intent as we, letter of intent and not by, so that we can do the planning of this, is this parcel right here. As I said, when I said directly across the report, I, that's what I really meant. Uh, so it involves, you know, this particular parcel, it did just recently change hands, um, but those people are uh, particularly interested in the, in the Hayden community thriving. Um, that's why they purchased it. Um, they're already speaking to us about wanting to create what I would call the first real business accelerator for the Valley and be private investors in that. They're driving that process. We're reacting to their desires to want to do that. Um, and so that's this particular parcel here in total. Um, it's roughly, it will be between 80 and 90 acres. It's fairly flat, um, has easy access in several you know, areas. Uh, this is, you can recognize this is all county owned you know, property. Um, and you guys own the, there's this little house thing down here. Um, but we have fairly, and what you'll also right here, there's some storage units kind of going in right here. Here's your solar project that's going in right here. Um, so this side of the airport is developing really quickly, but what will also be great about this, if I zoom out, our intent of the project, just to be clear, is through phase two, which we have to apply for on our own merit, which is a unique, they asked us regionally to apply in phase one. We will probably get, if we are awarded phase one, we'll get between $130,000, no match requirement for uh, planning and design money for this parcel. The unique thing about this parcel is that in 2005, it was included within an annexation agreement of a different parcel, but it was, it was, they did the planning for it. So we're actually not starting from square one. We're far ahead of where we would have otherwise been. Um, and then also um, our intent in phase one would be, it's in the county still, our intent would be to annex the piece of property as well as give it zoning and entitlements 
um, to the effect that we can get through phase one. Phase one has to be done by March 19th. All so right. by March 19th, which is when, or you have to be real close, like 90%. Um, and then we will apply for phase two. Phase two is where you actually get what I would call the real money. That's when we have to have our 20% match. Uh, and at the PowerPoint here, there's a, kind of a rough breakdown of our budget as what we see it today. And um, the unique thing is we have to have beneficiaries committed that say, yeah, as I said, if you build it, we will come. We've been speaking to some, you know, some uh, utilities uh, about that. We've been, but it can't be, it can't be a public entity. Like I asked, well, you know, can the airport just expand in there? And they said, no, you can speak to that if it will create more jobs, it'll make your application better. But at the end of the day, it has to be a private business. We're the Economic Development Administration. You know, that, that's what we seek. We seek private investment and private jobs uh, that are created through that model. But the unique opportunity is that, you know, so we have to have someone. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to build if we did our money in phase two in July. That doesn't mean that they're going to start building a building in September, probably two years away from us getting infrastructure done to where they move it. So we have time and they have time. We have time to plan around, um, you know, and they do as well about which lot it will be, you know, what's the best location for them um, and so forth. So I wanted to convey the project is purchase of the land and development of it through infrastructure. Because the concept is when they show up, Whatever that private company would be, uh, we can say they can say our you know lot size and everything else is this. We can say we have that perfect fit. It's right here. While the diversity of lot sizes throughout it, um, say well, what's my offsite? So we'll say um, other than running your slide to connect. That's it, because we are going to come through and be the roads, the water, the sewer, everything. Will also own the land. So the purchase of that land and the funds that would, you know, would eventually come back, you know, um, from an investment standpoint, because uh, you know, the lots would be subdivided and then we would sell those, you know, assumingly right around market value or something somewhere right around there. You'd sell them rather than long-term leases. Could do long-term leases as well. I think that's the opportunity, is that it can be a combination of many things. We're not bound by having to sell the land. We're just bound by when we have to purchase it by purchasing it at fair market value, which is based on appraisal, uh, which the landowners understand and have you know, signed on to. They understand it has to be at fair market value based on appraisal. Uh, and so I think that's where the partnerships are starting to come together. Um, but all development and we've included the county um, airport manager as well as um, I was going to request you know two uh, participants um, from the county as well um, when we're going through our concepts um, one of the things we'll have to conceptualize is the actual uses of these lots on how we subdivide them is that going to be a leasable one is that going to be a sellable one is that you know 
so forth as we go through our own entitlement process, because it'll be the town of Hayden taking this through our own entitlement process. Uh, so that's what this project is. Um, let me go back to the PowerPoint. Is this the piece of property that people have looked at for a hotel? It is. Um, so we started out. Um, we started out looking at that piece of property. I think what became apparent is um, based on several factors, um, the realistic expectation of pulling between, you know, 1.2 to $1.5 million uh, by March 19th, um, based on what we it would take total to develop infrastructure and everything else. And being that this is a one-time opportunity, you don't get to phase it. Like with the Economic Adjustment Assistance Grant through EDA, you can do phasing and come back to them multiple times for money. Um, you can't do that with this. So that parcel that you were talking about is immediately right next to this one, uh, which is where they looked at a hotel. The reason that we're suggesting this project is because we, you know, when they come to the town of Hayden, the number one issue about developing on the other side of the road has been infrastructure barrier to entry. Last year, we even had somebody who had land under contract. They went through, they started through an entire process. $300,000 just to get sewer from the 1200 square foot building into the airport lift station where we pump all the sewer out. Um, $200,000 for a 1200 square foot building is not feasible. Or it's, a lot of times it's might not be feasible for a lot of folks, uh, maybe for a really big industry partner. But as I've heard John say confidently, uh, that's probably not going to happen. What we're going to do is we're going to, you know, battle this transition by one to two jobs at a time. And so if that's the case, and those are our values, uh, we, you know, this needs to develop. We need to have room for some of those industry partners, but at the same time, we need to understand whom our occupants will probably be. You know, time in, time out. And so that, you know, if they can create jobs and hire two, three, six, ten folks at a time, or keep our you know industry partners here, that's the that's the vision for this is that they will have a place that they can actually affordably build a building uh, without having to invest another million dollars in just trying to get their water and sewer just to the lot line. Uh, that will already be taken care of. The parcel you're referring to, though, by virtue of the way our infrastructure is right now, we're going to be marching right down 51A from one side, basically, of the curve to the other with the main water and sewer lines. So that opportunity will increase uh, the available opportunity for those other areas just by virtue of the infrastructure being there. Because we're going to have to take it to loop the system we're going to have to take it in before we bring it into the law itself. So we're on, on this side, it's really close. You know, we can just kind of come in, but we don't want to do bad infrastructure planning for a 10 to 15 budget. So we'll bring it up the road. Because you're, um, do you have the capacity uh, to accommodate this? Mm -hmm. 
water and sewer wise water the existing plants have yep. capacity. the existing plants right now we're sitting with our waste of our treatment plant on average we're at about 30 this isn't an engineering estimate but it's real close it's between 36 and 38 percent at capacity and then with our water treatment plant with the upgrades that we just did uh, we're sitting right around in the you know low 40s so so it's just on. pipe it's just your infrastructure is made pipes yeah and roads and yeah. does it include does this infrastructure improvements would it include roadways as well as it would include roadways within um the lot itself that's the concept um it would include the roadways it would include um <clears throat> almost we want to try to get as close as possible so that really the only barrier to entry for people is hooking up service lines. So you're going to be kind of planning for what you say, 80 acres or so? Roughly. Between 80 and 100. Some Between 80 and 100. Depending. Five acre parcels, one acre parcels, two yep. acre parcels, yeah. whatever those sizes, and get all that planning done by March? We will get, no, we won't. We'll get the preliminary site plan, the zoning, and the annexation done. Then in phase two, you can use that money to finish. So I say we want to be at 30% by March 19th. And then we'll go from 30 to 100 after that if we were awarded phase two. So, and which is completely allowable under the EPA model. The only caveat is that I can't use the same engineer for both things. <laughs> for some reason, I have to switch between phase one and phase two. It's a, it was a requirement. Yeah, <laughs> federal government requirement. I was told, and I said, okay, whatever. And um, nuances like that that you don't know that, you know, whatever. Um, so that's our intent because, again, you know, we, we just we want the barrier to entry for whomever would be willing to locate here um, within Northwest Colorado to be, you know, easy. Um, it doesn't mean that growth doesn't pay its own way. And at the same time, I'm not sure that these parcels will develop anytime soon without the infrastructure there and getting that infrastructure there. You know, sometimes, sometimes local governments have to invest in order for private development to happen. This is our infrastructure. It's going to continue to be ours. We're not investing in anything that's not going to continue. Um, the lots would be ours, maybe subways, maybe sold. You know, that makes sense through you know a planning process. That's why we want to include a lot of a diversity of folks on our planning team uh, for private development as well as um, public because we want to hear what makes sense, what doesn't. Uh, we've included. I've already spoken. The outdoor group here kind of gets together informally. Um, once a month, and um, I've spoken to a couple of them, others, and we hope to really get a very inclusive representation of what we want this to be. So, um, on here is just some milestones that I've been speaking to. Um, the beneficiary thing, we're working really, really hard already on this, um, knowing that we have to have a letter of commitment from at least one beneficiary. Or it's better, but um, you can do it with one if you can prove, which I don't think would be very far, that the infrastructure that you're doing won't just benefit them. 
And in our case, we're looking at the value of the whole thing. So it's obvious that it won't benefit just one person. Um, infrastructure is estimated right now um, at right around $6 million, uh, which is actually not that much money. Uh, but uh, with the land purchase, and uh, as I show up there, preliminary comps suggest this. Uh, but we'll see, you know, once they appraise the appraisal return. I guess this is what we're asking for. You guys have already provided a letter of support. Thank you very much. That was important. We had, uh, for our regional project, there was 60 letters of support, including Senator Bennett and Sigmar Hickenlooper's office. Um, and just as a side note, I need to say thank you to Commissioner Melton for the incentive of us applying for our CDS request because it appears that's moving forward for the $2.6 million from that. Yeah. I haven't seen the numbers yet, but Bennett's did, and you know, he put out a good press release. Um, that's very exciting. Yeah, it is. It, it, it definitely is the only, honestly, it's probably the only reason that this actually is unfeasible for us at the moment. If that had not happened, uh, which again, it's in appropriations, but according to Senator Bennett's staff, like it was one of those projects. It's a bipartisan committee that moved it forward. Everybody wanted to see good projects. And the bipartisan committee, uh, the one that we applied through, uh, moved it along. We originally were being told that we were going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 950 to a million. And they moved our entire project to full funding forward. So that was surprising. And we would like, uh, and request from the county some grant writing help for phase two. So this is a federal grant. Um, we've written a couple, but nothing extent as extensive as what this will be. EDA asked us to regionally apply through phase one, but in phase two, each individual project, ours being one of them, they are has to apply individually in phase two by March 19th because they want to make sure that the projects can stand on their own on their own merit. Uh, so the eight projects that get planned on in phase one may not all get funded in phase two. It might only be two, it might only be one. So we do, we're going to need a lot of help um, understanding that the county's uh, staff, specifically grant writer that was just brought on, has a lot of uh, federal grant writing experience. Uh, we would just, uh, you know, having her on our team and helping us with that will, would be a good help. Um, as I told the city of Steamboat Springs when I presented this to them two weeks ago, you know, our 20% match, approximately about 1.5 million. Um, we're looking, you know, in all places to bring together this money. Um, and, you know, vested partners as well, originally um, within Route County specifically. Um, so any kind of, um, review or monies that could be freed up to help that match is contingent upon us getting phase two the phase two grant so it's uh, more like uh, committed but not uh, not spent not spent <laughs> right yeah committed but by July if they say sorry you did you weren't successful nobody's money goes anywhere you know um, and then our planning team, as I talked about, um, 
starting in January, we'll be, we'll, we'll get notice of award for phase one, which sounds like we've got a really strong probability that we will get this phase one grant. Uh, we would start the planning uh, discussions in January and it will be a very intensive January and March. Uh, not only on the entitlement side, but just, okay, you know, what kind of businesses do we really, really think are, we put forward that it would be entrepreneurship, outdoor recreation, manufacturing, cluster expansion, because EDA required kind of us to really dial down in. I did have the discussion that obviously aviation and several other clusters made a whole lot of sense. There's not necessarily a restriction on what cluster ends up there, but they wanted you to justify, like, you know, through what you were proposing, that you had, uh, you know, the, the viability of a certain cluster to expand outdoor recreation. And our value is obviously a natural one, along with entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism and manufacturing. The manufacturing part, I think, is where we're doing some of it, but it's not, we don't have the capabilities right now to have a place where people can do that on a large scale. I just had this conversation with our uh, a community member. There is the Hayden, you know, everybody likes to say the Hayden Industrial Park. Really, that's a business park. The lots are less than an acre. You're not going to do any kind of real, you know, large scale manufacturing in that, in, in that area. You would be able to do that here. Um, so, we better move this along or we're already out of time. I've done. <laughs> so um, happy to answer questions. Um, at the moment, we would hope at least commitment-wise that we could uh, get some commitments from some help, from uh, participation from one of y'all, as well as maybe some county staff to help, assuming we get our phase one. And then I would request that the county consider uh, whether or not you would be able to financially contribute to the project as well. Uh, I'm not asking for a specific amount at the moment because I know, yeah, you all would need to talk about that, but anything would help. So, I have a quick comment. They must be anxious to get the money out of, out of the door because that seems like such an incredibly short timeline on this uh, planning part. Uh, yeah. It feels like, well, I mean, we're on the risk of not having a great plan because you have to put it together in such a short time frame. I had that conversation with them, and that's why um, I feel a little more, I feel confident I can get tired of, I mean, we're already going to start working as if we're going to be doing it, so that on January 1, we're going to be making an application to ourselves and working through the process. I think some other projects are going to, I, I think, may struggle a lot more. Our project of infrastructure and entitlements, I think, is a little more doable. Um, that's why we're starting already that thought process right now. So we're already actually technically spending money doing that, uh, engineering wise and everything else. It's just a risk we got to take. So you're the first entity that has come forward and requested the services of our grant writer. Um, and I'm sure we'll have to have some conversations of with Jay about yeah. what Caroline's capacity is. But we, when we did uh, create that position, talk openly about the fact that ideally we'd have the opportunity to share those services with the other folks in the community. We just didn't know what that looked like. So 
Good for you for being a first one. <laughs> I seem to be the first one. I don't know if that's really true. We did have a request, I think, from the town of Green Creek, but it was very small for being determined that we didn't have. Oh, right. Yeah. But I mean, um, this type of bigger project seems like the best use of those. So the most appropriate time that we So the risk of speaking for my fellow commissioners, I think we're amenable to your request, depending on our of course. capacity. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, I understand that. If anything else, being on the planning team, you know, um, if the grant writer could be on the planning team, or at least provide some review, things like that would be really helpful. Um, if it could be more extensive, that would be great. I understand staff and capacity and Jay will just have to evaluate that. And as far as the, the dollar numbers, that's probably a more difficult task. Um, I understand. It, it feels like it would be in the context of our ARPA funded. So you can't use that to match. That believe me, I would have four. I would have six hundred fifty thousand dollars if I could do that. We right. cannot use our We can't claim that it's infrastructure. Well, no, you can't use it as a match oh. for federal. Well, that's although they are. There is some discussion yeah. about trying to change that requirement. It is, and, and you know what? If that changes, that just lessens the amount of money because then I'll be shifting because I have right now. Town of Hayden has about two hundred fifty thousand dollars of ARPA funds that we have not determined how to spend yet, and I would immediately ship that over as match, you know, spend on infrastructure. Um, I just there's a restriction there. I can't do that at the moment. But the two hundred thousand dollars that I spent to this two hundred thousand dollars we set aside as just unallocated. It's an exciting thing that you guys have put together. I congratulate you on. Thinking big, try to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. You guys continue to set the pace, you know, for Route County in terms of big picture thinking about what your community is going to look like in the future. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm supportive. I'm just not quite sure for how much money or where we would. I completely it. understand that. Like I said, anything is going to help. Talk to the community foundation and others, and I think we've got hopefully a decent plan on how to get there. Uh, just you know, we're trying to put those pieces together and work on it now. So I, I, I made the same request to the city this about two and a half weeks ago. I'll be coming back to them this month with kind of you know, uh, okay, now I've rounded out, but I know what my budget is, and here's where you know you can't do that or not. Uh, and I would fully expect that if, you know, if the request of money came with, you know, uh, you know, some sort of reimbursement of when we're selling grant or whatever else, that would be completely justified. So um, I'm not asking for it to be just free, thinking about it in long-term benefit of how to be equitably all part. So. And you're looking for some participation from that would be fantastic. Yeah, on our planning, my fellow commissioners here, but that's my district, and I've been involved in this. I'd be happy to jump in. <laughs> Nobody's going to fight me for it. So I don't want to make assumptions, so that's why I ask it. You know, and that's why I ask also because I don't like getting my hands smacked. So. That's all, all right. I have, and thank you for your time.
Thank you. Thanks, for And that's why we give this serious consideration. Thank you. Good luck. Yes. Thank you, Greg. Speaking of rats, Caroline, Stockton Hill Bridge. Mike Murray is also on the screen. We're looking at Mike Murray's desk. I think I need to, but I think I'm myself. I think you would teach yourself on the other end, wouldn't you? Um, no. Yeah. Are you afraid to take any money? No, I, uh, in fact, when we got the funding for uh, Trout Creek, which Well, it sounds like that maybe that's questionable practices when it comes to conflict of interest. I mean, you should do whatever you want. Have you ever refused yourself from these requests before? No, I was just thinking it's you know it's that odd position of working on something where I'll be advocating to myself, right? But I guess you're right, it's more of an issue on the other end. Well, it's kind of up to you, but I mean, I can sign the letter instead of you if that would be preferred. I think that's what we did with the EIAF. We didn't put Oh yeah, that's right. That's the other It's not due. It's not due till the end of the week. So if we need to change the name on the letter, we can certainly do that as well. It might help a little bit. All right. So what are we? What are we trying to do here, Mike? Build a bridge. More grant funding for a bridge. Uh, this is for the Moon Hill Bridge, um, you know, through the off-system bridge grant funding uh, through the state where we've been successful on four other bridges. This was this would take care of the fifth and final bad bridge in the county. This is uh, right up by Moon Hill Schoolhouse where County Road 56 crosses the Elk River. Um, the, ridge, the bridge is uh, load rated. For 24 tons. Um, it's got, you know, it's suffered damage in the past. We've had, we put a debris catcher in front of one of the abutments because a huge cottonwood slammed into one of the uh, piers in the middle, in the middle of the river. So then we put a debris catcher that we now, you know, during spring runoff, our, our steamboat shop stays, keeps guys on call on the weekends to do kind of bridge watch all up and down the Elk River. And this one specifically, uh, the big change from this year uh, to previous years is that we have upped our match. We have uh, gone and overmatched by 10 more percent. So our local match would be 30% instead of the standard 20. And we've got preliminary bridge designs on this. If, I, if we were successful in moving forward on this, chances are good. We'd probably be talking back to the consultant to update the plans to the newer CDOT standards and regulations and the like, and then um, and then move forward. That's why the timeline shows construction in starting in 2024, because I would assume if uh, we were awarded the grant this year um, through this round that uh, then we would go to work on on working through CDOT uh, plans and right of ways, which as we've known is I've tried to be ambitious and get it done in under a year. It's usually right at about 18 months to get plans finally finalized by by the Department of Transportation. The, uh, the overmatch concept was something Mike and I talked about <clears throat> on the bridge committee. Um, there's a limited amount of funding available. It's not more than about maybe $3 million. Of, I think it's right around three and a half for that. And, 
typically we're seeing 10 or 15 applications and uh, it was becoming apparent that some of the counties that were bringing forward a larger match is making it more doable for the bridge committee to approve uh, at least one or maybe two more projects. It's a fine line. <clears throat> Last year when we were <clears throat> looking at a couple of requests from Weld County where they were offering an 80% match in the other direction was kind of asked, well, you must not really need the money. So <laughs> the 30%, uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I think that'll help the application. I think the 30% already having, you know, kind of preliminary designs, you know, and, and, and part of this is that I have to reach out to my local agency coordinator as long as, as well as the regional engineer to say, Hey, we're applying for this. And then, you know, you get support from it. Um, you know, after they do a preliminary review of what we already have in place and what it would take and kind of what our timeline is. And they kind of give a cursory view of our estimate for the bridge and the like. But this bridge will take away if, if I mean, any, whether we build it on our dime or we get uh, grant funds for it, this bridge will be a single span bridge. So we won't have to worry about debris or anything hanging up on this bridge during uh, runoff. Any uh, uh, other questions for Mike? Caroline, do you have anything you want to add to the conversation? No, you've covered it very well. <laughs> this, uh, Mike uh, did most of the work on the, this. Yeah. <laughs> it's well it's a resubmittal and we submitted it now four times yeah. um, and that's another reason for the overmatch is to try and look a little more competitive and the costs have gone up since the last time we submitted all right yeah i was a little nervous when i saw the first couple of pictures they looked so nice but then when i got to the bottom i realized they did a good job making the bridge look really sad oh no no that's the consultants the inspectors that come out and do that I know it's all they're, above board. They're really good at that. On the bridge or anything like that, but I don't want to drive across this bridge. So I think, unless there's uh, any other questions or conversation, I think we're ready for a motion on this. I would just say perhaps uh, request approval of Chair Pro Tem's signature from the grant application. Yeah, that's what I had to say. All right. Well then, if there is no further discussion, um, I move to approve the chair pro tem signature on the grant application to the special highways committee via Colorado counties incorporated for the replacement of the Moon Hill Bridge requesting funding in a total amount of $1,675,000, including 70% grant, $1,700,000, $1,000,000, $172,500 and a 30% county match of $502,500. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thank Caroline. you. All right. Next up, we have got. Historic Preservation Board request for a historic designation for the Elk Hill Community Center. Somebody just took my line, my lead line. 
Commissioners, I am here on behalf of the Historic Preservation Board. We met two weeks ago, about October 7th, and they had an application from, it was actually um, Belzars who submitted the application. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm Rebecca Waddles, and I'm in, in the president of the Altec Community Club. It's, 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 it's the official name is club. We're trying to change it to center to be more inclusive. Yeah. Oh, so I, it's club because it's been that for 50 years in my life. I'm like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a great meeting. The board found resoundingly, resoundingly that it was, they approved. And the uh, application originally just had condition A, I believe. Um, and the board said, no, you're also D, which is, I don't know if you're looking at it. It is an exemplification of the cultural, economic, social, and historic heritage of Rock County because it started as a school. Yes. Uh, what's the benefit uh, of, of um, the historic designation? Uh, what, what we would like from the historic designation is we want to do some continuing upkeep on the building. And then that way we feel like we would be uh, more qualified for some historic designation funding, um, such as through MOPAP, things like that that we wanted to get that. Uh, whereas right now, we just as a social club, we really don't have any standing for historic funds. Questions? I do not have any comments. This is great. It's wonderful. I've never been up there, but yeah, I do sorry. great things. But where is it? It's north of Hayden. Um, east, uh, west of California Park, uh, it's Elkhead Range. It's there. pretty remote, isn't it? Oh, very oh, yes. hard to get to. Oh, oh yeah. there. It's Wait, not, it's not, up there? it's, well, that's the Rock School Schoolhouse. House. Oh, that's, yeah. that's and that's okay. further, uh, to the east of that. And the, the Rock School House was the original school. This was the school after the Rock School House shut down. So, and it's, I don't want to give the impression that this is a phenomenal building like the Rock Schoolhouse and all. This is just a square structure. But it's pink. It's pink. It is pink. It is very pink. I'm sure I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you would remember. But um, yeah, there's a lot of history up there. At one point, weren't there like 80 families in that valley? That was when the Rock Schoolhouse was going in the very early 1900s when uh, homesteading first started up there. There was uh, 80 to about 120 families up there. Um, it was very short-lived, extremely short-lived. Um, by the time this schoolhouse started, there was only probably 20 families up there. Most of the small homesteaders had already lost their places at that point and moved on. Then most of the families that went to the schoolhouse were employed by the couple of big ranches that were still up there. Then this is a continuation of both the Rock Schoolhouse families and the Elkhead community families too. So most of our members had grandparents that had stood up there. Grandparents, great grandparents. When was the original building built? The, this building was built in 1948. Um, it was only a school for about 10 years. And then in 1959, they, they and it was, it was pretty much countywide. They started shutting down the one room schoolhouses and consolidating. And at that point, everybody was bus to Hayden. I wonder if it's on our board downstairs. I can yes. see it. It, it is. is. It is. 
I'm pretty sure it. I saw oh, the Rock School Oh, yeah. If it's, yeah, I've, I have seen that and it is on there. But yeah, but compared to the Rock Schoolhouse, it's, it's pretty insignificant. <laughs> it's kind of hard to, yeah. But the Rock Schoolhouse gets all the attention. It is impressive. Yes, yes. All right. Um, I'm supportive of this. Great. Amazing. Resolution number 083. Thanks. Um, Mr. Chairman, I move to approve resolution number 2021-083, a resolution designating the Elkhead Community Center building to the Route County Register of Historic Properties. I have a second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Really appreciate this. This is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Do, we, do we provide a plaque? Good question. It should be like fanfare. Well, I mean, we stopped. <clears throat> yes. Oh, like a plaque. Yes. Yeah, it is designates. I was thinking uh, like a framed resolution. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've seen these plaques on buildings. Yeah, right. we will make a plaque. Who, who pays for that? It's a really good question. Okay. The historic preservation board? Probably. This is my first one. This is my first one too, and we've so had must be budget questions too, about right? the yeah. historic preservation. preservation um, Deanna tried to a little bit when she was here, but they really didn't meet very often or do anything. Jen has done a lot of work getting this board back together, getting things on track, going through the documents, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we still so, don't know who pays for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to, we, we have, do. It's just we, we do. We do. We do. We do. Actually, that showed up on my doorstep yeah. the day that I took this job.
pressure with them, and I can't really get going by that. So I gotta be in the right mode. Okie dokie. I, I think I gave her a warning. You did give me a heads up. Well, we're ready to make snack decisions. Okay. <laughs> Not like get into the weeds no. on things we don't need to talk about. That would be yes. You know, I. I'm going to do my best not to get into the weeds as well. Express that this morning, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's take them off. Let's take them off one at a time. Okay. So, since, since uh, is Justin on yet? No. Okay. Let's go with the first one's easy, right? The medical stop loss. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the medical stop loss. Um, commissioners, I am here for your consideration to approve the 2022 medical stop loss provider and premium. Estimated expenditure is $732,464. Um, you have reviewed the medical stop loss provider options and um, for 2022, and by moving to a new stop loss carrier, Route County can procure more affordable premium. Um, you have provided direction to move forward with a new carrier, and it's recommended that we move to approve the new medical stop loss carrier premium for 2022. That's the medical stuff you're looking at. Are you looking at this? Yeah, I know. I've got that on my screen. Curious, <clears throat> there was a significant increase in that premium during 2021. Right? Did we pay $516,000 last year? I need to look it up, Tim, because I did not come prepared to have a class later. I'm looking at this page three of this package. It shows the specific stop loss contract history. It increases every year. It so increases, but it's a savings. So it's it's a savings to move to a new carrier, not a savings from last year. If that's so if we would be the same carrier more. Right. But I mean are we in fact paying seven hundred and thirty two thousand dollars as opposed to five hundred Sixteen thousand. <clears throat> Somewhere I missed that memo. I am a little confused by that because pages 16, 17, 15, 16, 17, when it's a renewal summary, the number is 719 and the current is 683. So that doesn't really match the other page. I see that Dan Stern has for this. I bet he can answer this question. Uh, yes, and where I, I tried to pull up this dance for now, I will try to pull up the other dance for now. I got there's two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that wasn't the only one you felt that rich. Go ahead, Dan. The second dance for now. You have to unmute yourself. No, wow. Let me just let me just say I used an older form. I should have very easily screwed up and not put in the uh, most current number. Um, 
So I. So you know what? Let's not get hung up on that. I think that I mean we did in fact review review all of this with Hayes. Right. <clears throat> with this current number that got us to the bottom line of what our it, fixed costs and estimated claims are. So I. It does look like it's probably seven hundred and nineteen thousand four hundred forty. Yeah. That's what I was right. Yeah. <clears throat> so on page fourteen. Sorry, 15 and 16 and 17 where yeah. we have a summary. And that's the number we should use in our motion. And I also think that that, that uh, current annual cost of the $683,000 is the accurate number. And we are looking at a 5.18% increase. Right. So I, I think it's all fine. So we can get that one out of the way. That's good. Just put up. I think I may be. Um, I move to approve the proposed 2022 medical stop loss provider and approval. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 One down, you're doing good, Kathy. Yeah, I already had the numbers right. Okay, consideration. I'm here for your consideration to approve an amendment to our 401a plan to allow eligible employees to contribute to the plan on the first day of their employment. Um, I'm waiting for Justin before I respond to any of the health oh, stuff. So um, according to um, Mr. Sternad, who did an estimate of what the increase in cost would be for 2022, he estimated $50,000. Final costs will be dependent upon the number of employees who choose to participate in the plan and their total wages. So any questions on how this amendment would change our plan? Did you um, did you guys have a discussion about this while I was gone? No. Okay. I just have a couple questions. So um, when is this effective? That that is a good question. I think because we estimated based on 2022, we anticipate that it would go live January 1st, 2022. Okay. Um, and so anyone who was not yet eligible at that time would become eligible on January 1st? That's correct. Okay. Um, and then um, that starting on day one would be the same benefit as currently we have at one year employment. So 6% contribution with a match from the county. There's no sort of No. And, and let me just ask Stephanie a question. Do we want to make it the second because the first is a holiday? Do we care? I don't think it matters. Okay, just double checking. Yeah, so we would phase people in. Anyone who is already employed with us who hasn't met the annual um, uh, waiting period that we have in place would be eligible right away. And um, hopefully we would roll everything out to get people enrolled, those individuals enrolled um, during the open enrollment process. And then anyone who came on board would be given the ability to enroll on their first day of hire. And then vesting, I just have to make sure I remember if this is correct. So I see the vesting schedule okay. here, and the vesting is just how much of the, the county contribution you would get back if you were to leave. That's that correct. Time. Okay. 
So and you'd have to. This is not a change from existing. No, the, the investing yeah. schedule would stay the same. The only thing that changes in the plan is that they could start contributing on day one of their employment. And again, that's for people who are eligible to participate in the 401. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, other than the cost, this feels like a no brainer to me. I'm surprised that it's taken us this long to get to this point. It seems like the kind of thing that's really necessary if we're going to attract good people coming in. Yeah, I'm ready for a motion. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I move to approve the amendment to the 401A plan allowing eligible employees to contribute to the plan on their first day of employment, starting um, January 1st, 2022. Second. And I guess it's just implicit in that motion that the county will be contributing as well. Well, it's, I mean, it, that's, yeah, what, that's yeah. part of, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you say that's the parlay? We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing on all those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. I'm going to get, I'm going to do dental next. Okay. Um, in an effort to improve upon our existing employee voluntary dental, employee paid voluntary dental plan for 2022. The commissioners have reviewed the dental carriers and coverage options and provided direction to move forward with a new insurance carrier and upgrade our existing coverage. The total premium for a new dental plan is estimated to be $154,432, which is dependent upon how many participants will continue or enroll into the plan. It's recommended that the BCC move to approve the change in the insurance provider and coverage and pro provide direction as to whether the county will pay 100% of the premium or pay a percentage of the premium with the employees paying the difference. So we've talked about paying 50%. We've talked about, I think that, um, and I need to pull up that number. It's in the last pages of this. Um, packet that I gave to you all. So uh, there are quotes in here for 70%, 92%, and then 30.89%. But the 30.89 is paying 100% for the employee and paying less for any dependents, is it not? Justin, I'm going to let you chime in on uh, some of these scenarios. Sure, not a problem. I'll pull those up too. Um, I believe, uh, Commissioner, to answer your question, yes. So it's playing 100% of the employee amount, but then it applies that same amount across the other tiers, right? So um, the, the county is essentially paying that employee only amount across all tiers, which is what we have a couple of other employers do. They, they make it you know, essentially free for the employee only, but then apply that amount towards any of the other tiers um, as well. Don't we only have two tiers? Not for dental. We have like parent with kids, family. Okay, so couple. It's but it's different than the medical. They can pay. Yes, medical is simpler. It's just two tiers. Yes. Do you have to? 
participate at the regular health insurance plan in order to participate in the dental plan? You do not. And the um, requirements for eligibility are, are less because people who work 20 hours um, and are part-time are eligible to participate in our dental plan versus they wouldn't be eligible for our medical plan. So the uh, question presented to us is which percentage of contribution are we selecting? 50%, 70%, or 92%? Or this. Um, Four hundred percent. Which is what I was just asking questions about. So the the fifty seventy and ninety two percent don't have that restriction. That's correct. It's for everyone. It's just for everyone. So why did we create this different? For the 100% um, oh, I guess it doesn't make any difference. We could also just say 100% across the board, which is really interesting. And that total cost of that would be whatever, 154. Okay. Yeah. And to give the commissioners just some feedbacks, uh, an idea on those different scenarios, those are some different scenarios that um, other employers within your area currently do. For their dental. Um, so that's why we're showing some of those other scenarios, just so you can see how it compares to some other um, employers in, in your given area. Where, where did the 92% come, come from? So I don't have a direct breakdown from that employer. So that is that is the city of Steamboat. Um, I don't have a breakdown as to how they pay it by tier. I just know overall they pay 92% of the overall premium cost. This seems odd to me. And I have that from a, cause they're not a client of ours but I do know somebody over there um, within their management. Um, and she was able to provide me at least that information. But they might have it broken down like this and where they pay 100% for the employee plus one person yeah. and then the other. I, I do think that separating out the employee from the rest of the family will be a, a change that may not um, be well received. But I, I think that I, I think we would. My, I, my recommendation would be that we stick with how our current plan is set up and just determine what percentage of that we would pay. But that's just my perspective. And so how do these compare to what we're doing now? Uh, the employee pays 100% of okay. their premium, so which is how much right now. Uh, so that's it, the question. I was going to say, so it, I mean, the rates, just to give you an idea, currently are $33. I'm going to round. So $33 for a single, uh, $66 for an uh, employee and spouse, $74 for an employee plus child, and 107 for a family. So even if you took the 50-50 split, the employees getting a reduction in what they're paying today with actually a slightly better benefit because uh, the benefits that we have outlined with this change, uh, we are increasing the calendar year maximum. We're adding an orthodontia benefit. 
um, and we're removing waiting periods for major, um, major work, uh, which is currently in place with the current vendor. You know, uh, I'm between the 50% and the 70%. The 92% doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not really prepared to go to the 100%. So, well, I was actually leaning toward this 100% one, but um, I'm shocked that Kathy thinks it's a problem then. No, uh, oh, well, I just think it's a problem because you're only, they have to pay for the difference of their, uh, their dependents. Yeah, but they don't have to pay for themselves at all. So, but it doesn't matter. Well, I want to make sure we're talking. If we do the 70%, it's absolutely a, uh, an improvement for the employees. Uh, we can revisit it next year. We can go far enough. So, yeah, I think it. Um, as Justin said, represents a significant savings for the employees with So and under, under that scenario, we're going to be making the $108,000. That's the cost, uh, estimated cost of us. That is correct. And then again, we're basing that off of 157 currently uh, employees currently enrolled. Um, obviously that number could go up if, if we gain more enrollment um, based on the improved plan. And I'm gonna be honest, I think we will gain in enrollment based on the improved plan design and in a lower contribution structure from the employees. But I think as we saw, 50% contribution is really not competitive with what anybody else is doing, at least based on and we want more people to enroll because like I said, dental is really tied closely to your overall health, not just your teeth. I think we have consensus here. Great. I think we're good. I think I'm ready for a motion. Mr. Chairman, you I don't know. Right, to approve the proposed 2022 dental plan um, provider coverage and premium with um, the county contributing 70% of the premium and um, members paying 50%. I will second that. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 We're on a roll. Okay, here we go. Now I'm going to short term disability. Okay. Um, which you're not going to call STD, right? I didn't call it STD. <laughs> I wanted to. We an issue with that. We so, talked about that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> you guys had a great you know, Some people are more mature than others. So I'm uh, just going to call it short-term disability. So I'm here for your uh, consideration to approve the proposed 2022 life um, ADD short-term disability, long-term disability insurance provider and premium. Um, estimated costs are um, 12,000 for the basic life and ADD. The long-term disability is estimated at $65,075, and the short-term disability is estimated at 
52,000. Now that was based on, um, let's just see, because. Uh, and well, Kathy, so I had a typo that 52 is actually 57, 57,000. Okay, and Justin, just confirm what percentage is that for? That's at, that's at the 60%. If we matched um, at 66 and two thirds, like your long-term disability program, the annual cost is expected at uh, 60,570. Um, or if we went up to a 70% benefit, it is 63,455. And that so, benefit percentage is essentially the difference um, of their weekly salary or weekly income that the carrier would pay back to them. So it's either 60%, 66 and two thirds, or 70% of their weekly income. So there's an, I can pause and let you guys think, but there are also, um, part of this is the recommendation to rescind our current um, vacation transfer policy that we have in place. Now, sick leave, yeah. Not vacation. Sorry, sick leave transfer. Um, program that we have in place. That said, there are people who feel that um, the short-term disability is an adequate standing on its, own, on its own because there's a percentage of someone's income that they're not getting, so they're not full. And so I just wanna bring that to your attention. I think should you um, have issue with that and want to put together some sort of sick bank or other program to supplement that difference. So if I have worked in our road bridge department, for example, for the last 35 years, and I have an insane amount of sick leave accumulated, you know, cap it. 2,000 hours, maybe. For example, I could use, I could just use that instead of ever taking this, right? That is correct. And by virtue of uh, purchasing this short-term disability policy, it, I mean, it doesn't require that we rescind our sick leave bank. Uh, but practically speaking, it would be at least adjusting it. Um, it does not require it. Um, I think my recommendation and I think Hayes's recommendation would be that we do Rescinded. Rescind or change. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking that we have the potential we don't have to decide upon today or even what we talk about today, other than we could amend that simply the policy to to some degree address uh, potentially some of the concerns that our staff may have with us. Because we've got time to do that. Okay. Um, Justin, do you want to weigh in on this at all? Well, my only, just from a consulting side, the only thing I would say is that if you maintain your current sick leave policy as is and the way they accumulate those hours and whatnot, I would honestly tell you that I don't know that buying a short-term disability policy would make any sense because now you're just adding additional benefit to the employees on top of what they already have. Um, and, and so there's no incentive um, potentially for an employee who's out on a short-term leave um, to potentially try to come back to work sooner um, if they're getting 100 or more than 100% of their income 
um, while they're out on, on, on leave. And so um, my suggestion would be the only reason that the county would consider purchasing the short-term disability policy would be with the thought of making an adjustment to your sick leave policy of some way, shape or form down the road, um, reducing that benefit in some manner um, down, down the road, because otherwise I, you're just adding another benefit and, and more dollars to somebody's pocket that I don't think is necessary for the county to pay for, um, for that policy. If you don't make an adjustment down the road to the sick leave. Um, so I'll just put forward my opinion on this. I know that I have really challenged the um, sick leave, whatever we call it, um, bank and the idea of transferring those sometimes the way we do that. Um, looking for a different way to do that. Um, I'm really, I, I have a little, a lot of hesitation about let's just do this. Um, I think there's a lot of change been fully addressed and knowing that the state family leave whatever that thing is called goes into effect in two years I believe and we're not mandated to participate we can opt out if we want um, but just knowing that that change is coming and there's potentially a change there is a change that needs to be made to our sick leave policy it kind of it feels like maybe we should do it talked briefly about, um, you know, paternity, paternity leave, kind of putting together a paid program for that. Um, I will say what the short-term disability doesn't address is people taking care of family members. So they would need to use their own sick time for that short-term disability would not, would not cover that piece. Um, it would only cover their own health or injury um, or um, we have a, a new employee or a relatively new employee that has not accrued much in the way of sick time. And then they do end up having a short-term disability. Uh, if we don't have this insurance, this short-term disability insurance, then that individual is more or less at the mercy of other individuals in the county that may or may not want to help them. Yeah, and that's that's true for every employee. They're at the mercy, and I wouldn't say you know mercy, but they you know it's very individual whether someone wants to contribute or not. And I think um, I think part of the reason why we don't necessarily see the current program as effective is. Because you see kind of the internal operations of it, whether it's somebody getting hundreds and hundreds of hours and um, 
you know, some people see how they're using those hours, other employees, and get frustrated with maybe it not being exactly what they had anticipated. Um, or it could be a department head who now somebody has hundreds of hours and they have a, this vacant spot and they can't fill it because the person really should have gone on short-term disability then long-term disability to you know, allow them to recruit for that, that position. And there is favoritism involved. Now it does, you know, it does help a number of people, um, but I don't necessarily know. Did the scenario that I described, does that, does that actually ever happen or sort of happen? I mean, we've had people who are in the same department and someone can get over 400 hours donated and the other person didn't get any, um, and it also, but that circumstance was, you know, maybe the one person was popular, but other people saw the person abusing their sick time and thought that they should have had more sick time, so they weren't going to contribute, or it's a particular ailment, some people are more sensitive to This whole dynamic is why it doesn't work, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, yeah. I think there's no question that it needs to be changed. I think the question to me is, is this the right way change it or should we be looking more holistically at what all the options are um and i I'm, i guess i don't feel convinced that we've kind of looked i mean i shared with you that i worked at another medical organization that had a sick leave bank policy but everyone just donated a day a year to the bank if they wanted to be a participant in it and then those people who participated could draw from it if they needed to i mean that's a different scenario right i don't know if that's the right answer or not but there's you know there's multiple scenarios and i guess i feel a little nervous about let's just jump into this when we're not i'm not convinced that we've really done the analysis of what the right answer is justin in terms of these changes. justin could we if we came up with an adjustment to our sick leave policy come back to you in february or march and and uh, purchase the short-term disability policy. You can. You can. We could. We could put a pol this policy in place, um, whenever if if the county decided that it made sense to move forward with it, um, and or vice versa. We could cancel this policy. You know, if we did it for a year and you guys made internal changes and did something different that made more sense. You know, this is we can cancel this policy. You know, down the road too. So. Um, Yes, we could do it either, both ways. I will say that even if we did a bank, and this is something else that Jay and I talked about, you know, typically it's going to be on a first come, first serve basis. So the people on the front end who, you know, are who need it may be able to pull from that. And the people later in the year, there may not be anything left. The other thing that we've discussed, not Jay and I, but um, Dan Sternad and I discussed the the, the beauty of the short-term disability is it's being approved by a third party. So they're actually kind of officiating, you know, that or confirming that there's a real need for the short-term disability. So we know that if they're out going out on short-term disability, it's been approved and it's kind of a more... So out of deference to Commissioner Mellon's <laughs> concerns, I think I'm happy to kick this can down the road. It gives us time to take a look at the sick leave policy. Yeah. yeah, I think we should do the policy first, first rather than having the insurance drive the policy okay. discussion. And, and I, I'd like 
to request that we maybe take a look at some data on how you know how our current policy is being utilized what do we know about what types of i mean is it if it's a lot of parental leave for example maybe we should have a conversation about paid parental leave rather than some of these other things you know just kind of looking at what is actually going on and what the needs of the employees are to determine if this is going and I think we need to dig into the pending state legislation on the family leave because that's 12 weeks, but it's a partial payment. So it doesn't give you the um, coverage, even of the, the proposal on disability. So we need to kind of see how that overlaps. And that tax, we need to make that decision in 2022 because yeah. the tax goes in place for the employees on the 1st of 2023. I'm partially sure are uh, folks able to access the sick leave bank for parental reasons, family reasons, or is it? Well, it's not a bank. It's, it's not a bank. It's it's people can just say, donations. yeah. Okay. So, for instance, uh, if an individual is having a child, yes, that that, that they could ask for donations. That's to correct. Them. So, okay. And that and that's, that's another nuance. That, I mean that. That's the other part of it that I think that Beth, Beth dislikes is that we do share some, you know, there a little it feels bit like a about sob story. It feels yeah. like the like starving children in Africa. Like I had to do, and can you please donate to me? I mean, well, and if there's exceptions where some people can get, you know, we like to cap it at the most you can contribute is 40 hours, but there have been exceptions where people have been able to contribute 80. So there's a gate that that once one exception is made. And also people can hold on to, to their vacation time. They can get an approval so that they don't have to use their own personal time. How, how about my mental health is suffering because I didn't have the opportunity to go hunting. Can I please have <coughs> Time, so I can go you probably could. We'd let you pitch that to the employees. Yeah. You don't get your time often. Oh, well, and, <laughs> and I'm not a hunter, so it's good. Good point. Mental health is serious. It feels like we have consensus to kick the short term disability discussion, uh, kick that can down the road. That yeah, sounds like a bigger discussion than just short term disability. Exactly. I think so. It's more about the leave policies. So I think we still need approval, though, of the other items that are yeah. on that same one, right? Yeah, and, and do we need any discussion on them? They're all pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. One, one question before you vote on that. that I um, So Mutual of Omaha provided um, voluntary life proposals. So employees, if they wanted to add more life insurance coverage on their own, out of their own paycheck, outside of what the county provides them, um, that is a part of their proposal. There is a guarantee issue of up to $150,000 during the first enrollment, meaning guarantee issue means they don't have to you know, fill out any medical exam, paperwork or anything along those lines. They will guarantee up to $150,000 of additional coverage. Um, it doesn't cost the county anything. There is some administrative side, right? From Stephanie and, and Kathy from a voluntary life um, side of it, um, but that is a part of their proposal. You don't have to accept it, um, but I wanted to put that out there that they're offering voluntary life as well, um, in addition to the, the employer paid life insurance. Is it term? Uh, it is term, yes. It is portable. They could take it with them if they leave, of course. Most of the time, 
porting life insurance from an employer plan to an individual plan usually costs more than it's probably worth doing unless they know that they have some sort of condition that they think you know, potentially it will pay out on. Um, but it is a term life. Uh, it, terms, it follows the same, uh, Kathy, it's gonna follow the same uh, rules that the basic life does. So uh, it reduces um, by 35% at age 65, reduces by 75% at age 75, and, um, uh, and then will continue if they were obviously still employed past age 75 with the county at that reduction. We want to add another person. I another. think that would be nice because twenty-five thousand doesn't pay very much. No, it doesn't. But we also have supplemental, so I don't know if we're those are another. more. Those are not term. They're like okay. If it doesn't cost the county anything, I know it's just an option for the, for folks, and you guys don't feel like the administrative burden is too much. I don't know why we would just. Yeah, it's just more the administrative side there. I would say there's no downside except for, you know, just adding a line in payroll potentially if somebody elects it um, to reduce that amount from their paycheck. I think that's fine. The only, okay. never mind, never mind. That's an amazing thing we're going to talk about later. <laughs> okay, I think I'm ready for a motion. I guess I jumped in unless you want me to do it. Oh, oh. So take the STD out of it. <laughs> okay. Motion to approve the proposed 2022 life, ADD, and LD, LTD insurance provider and premium. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing not all those in favor say aye. 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 Eliminated STDs. <laughs> Now we've done something. Okay. Now, so we are now here to review our medical um, plan. And um, the commissioners have, re have reviewed a number of options, have provided some direction. And I think what I would like is to be able for you all to ask questions. If you have, do you have any questions since the email that we sent out related to um, the Vail Health and and Sedman not being part of this um, Colorado Select program? Are there any um, issues or concerns that you have? Just want to repeat the same question I asked before, and now the Justin's with us. So, Justin, my understanding is with the Colorado Select Plan, uh, employees would be, if they chose to go to the Stedman Clinic or Vail Valley Health, they would be out of network. It would be out of network and not covered by the plan if they were on that PPO Select Colorado Plan. If they're on the high deductible health plan, because that one is not transitioning to the Select Colorado, they would still be in network and payable on the current in network high deductible health plan benefit. So that, yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, uh, I'm supportive of, the, of us pursuing the, uh, the select Colorado network. And I think it would, 
we just need to very carefully communicate to our employees that if for some reason they think they're really going to need to or want to access Stedman Clinic Vail Valley Health, then they should choose the high deductible plan. Well, and I think just generally making sure it's clear that this is a limited network plan, although we believe that the vast majority of the providers in Route County are covered um, and they should investigate you know, who's covered and who's not before they make a determination about which plan they want to be on and otherwise. Sure. Right. right. That's just the most obvious example. And, and Justin, could you go over real quick what the emergency coverage is? Because that's come up internally a, a little bit. Yeah, and, and please bear with me because emergency coverage, if it's a true emergency, right? Somebody was in a car accident on I-70 uh, down in the Vail area and they were transferred over to Vail Health for care, um, that's going to be covered at an in-network benefit level. Any true emergency situation is always gonna be covered whether it's an in-network or out-of-network facility at the in-network level. Um, that's an ACA requirement. Um, so regardless of the plan design. Now, if um, Kathy and I were talking about this the other day, if you're at a soccer tournament down in the Vale Valley and your child, you know, gets hurt in their soccer game, whether it's, you know, an arm or a leg, a concussion, whatever it might be, and it's not truly an emergency situation, but you as a parent want to go ahead and take them over to Vale Health and have them checked out, that's probably not going to be covered under an emergency type of situation from that standpoint, right? Um, now, obviously, if they you know, broke their leg and needed immediate care, that's an emergency situation. Uh, and so I'm not trying to get into the weeds too much, but just think about a true emergency situation where somebody needs immediate care right now for whatever that condition is. That's going to be covered at the in-network benefit level. If it is something that you you had a choice, you could have waited, you could have drove, um, you know, and seeing a doctor a little bit later that afternoon or, or um, you know, the next day, not a true emergency situation, and they went to Vail Health, then it would not be covered, and they would have to pay 100% of whatever the charges were that Vail Health charged for that particular visit. Again, using Vail Health as the example, the worst case scenario is somebody might have to drive over Vail Pass and go to the hospital in uh, Frisco. Yeah, the, the hospital in Frisco, um, obviously that's in network over in um, Valley View in Glenwood Springs, if they were closer and could make it through the canyon, that's in network. Um, and then obviously, you know, UC Health, the Yampa Valley up in, in Steamboat. Yeah, I mean, my view of it, this, this is, strikes me and maybe I'm being too cold hearted about it, but that just seems to be a, uh, an inconvenience more than anything else. And I will say up in our previous conversation, right, Vail Health was in the network. Um, I was just updated with this information last week. And uh, just from the consulting side of me and what I see UC Health and United doing for the Select Colorado Network, it makes sense because what they want to do is drive that care, the orthopedics and everything else back to Yampa Valley. They don't want it going down to Vail Health and they're losing those dollars to a competitor, essentially. Um, and so that's... I can't tell you specifically, they didn't tell me that's why they're doing it, but that is why they're doing it. They want those shoulders, those knees, everything else to happen up in Steamboat, not down in Vail. I, you know, I think I've expressed a 
and we know like, the healthcare industry is sort of a mess and I wish I wish it wasn't. But I, I do think that the benefits to our employees outweigh some of those issues um, because the the cost to employees is going to be lower, the deductible is low, but you know there you have a lot of things that are happening for their their deductible. And I think that this the Colorado Select Plan represents a significant improvement to the options um, that folks will have. And it is it is a bummer to have a plan that doesn't have any out of network coverage, but I don't know. I mean, I, I when I was teaching, we always had Kaiser, and you just go to Kaiser facilities, and you never had to pay anything out of pocket. But of course, if I had gone somewhere else, I wouldn't have had any coverage. So I think it just is what it is. But on the whole, I believe that that presents a benefit to our employees to make this change. And Justin, the out-of-state network is really robust too. From what I saw, I kind of did a search of a bunch of cities, and there's numerous providers covered nationwide. That that is correct. I mean, somebody can always go and find an out-of-network place somewhere. But between, I mean, United Healthcare and Anthem are the two largest insurance companies in the country, and they go back and forth every day as who has the largest national network. You're not missing out on. You know, United's network is going to have coverage no matter where somebody is. Uh, there's going to be an in-network provider available, whether they're in Florida, Washington, California, you know, wherever they are, there's going to be in-network options. And not to put too fine a point on it, this also avoids any kind of premium increase for our employees. And the yeah. Yep. <coughs> well, I'll tell you, of all the insurances that I've dealt with over the years, Almost all of them carved out today. Did they? Yes. Wow. Good to know. Which is so rare in my case because they were so much cheaper than they have it out there. Whatever. <laughs> I think we have consensus here. Great. So I would move to approve the 2022 medical benefit plan, um, which would include a move to the Colorado Select um, plan uh, with employee premiums remaining um, steady from 2021. Is that everything you have on that? Um, I would, yes. I, can, I would just clarify, move to the Colorado Select plan for the PPO plan only. Because we are yeah. keeping the high deductible as is. Yeah. Thank you. you know, no, no change in rate. Dan, hold on a minute. Let me get a second on the table before I go to discussion. Second. We have a motion and a second. Uh, uh, is there any discussion? And I'm going to invite Dan Stranat to offer a comment before. There, there's no change in rates, right? To the employee or an employee. Correct, correct. No, no change in rates. Okay. Is that it? I, uh, Justin, uh, BSP renewal for employees is the same, correct? Zero percent increase. Yep. All right. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you all very much. That's Thanks, Justin. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Hopefully, next time I'll see you in person. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. Take care. We are adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.
Whoever was looking at, yeah, she skipped 